Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. All right, everybody, back once again. It is the Between the Ropes podcast. I am Brian Fritz. He is Michael Wiseman. We are actually up early. Bright and early on a Thursday morning to record the podcast. This is what we like to do. Jump right out of bed, you know, put on our slippers, grab a cup of coffee, and record a Between the Ropes podcast. Right, Michael? Don't even put on any clothes, man. Just slippers, coffee, sit down in the buff, record the podcast. I've got a onesie on with a trap uh-huh. door for my butt, you know, so it's easy <laughs> access. Trap door. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's like a double meeting there. It's a, <laughs> def- a definite trap. It's a trap. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's wow. like the red one, you know, with the frayed edges. Oh, you, you know? have the like the authentic one. Yes. Is it wool? Is it like 100 degrees? Because like, that's oh, the way mine was. It, it is. You know, but though it might be hot. But you know what? When you sit down on a couch, it's just comfortable as hell. I oh, mean, yeah. It's just, oh. Don't you reckon? I, I think they should have modernized those things by now, right? Like, I mm. mean, I had one of those when I was a kid, right? You had the footsies. You had the whole one piece. And they should have like these like ones for adults that are made of like silk or like microfiber cloth. Oh, that yeah. Just, Man, that's what that's what they need to do. There's a well, business idea for you. Well, you know, they get the trap door for the backside. You know, I, I think they need to modernize it for men with, a, you know, you know, a little spot for the front, you know. Right. Right. Absolutely. Just, just like with my boxers, you know, because I, uh-huh. I just need easy access, you know, because we're, we're lazy. Right. Like, you know, th- yeah, there's, there's a way to do that and make that a thing. But I guess they want to make them unisex. I don't know. I haven't won one of those since I was a kid, Brian, honestly, mm-hmm. you know. So by the just- way, quite the start, especially for anybody listening to this podcast on a speaker around other people. <laughs> Whoopsies. That's going to okay. be fantastic. Speaking of, speaking of speaking of quite the start, I, um, you know, you know me, I like to be an equal opportunity kind of guy. Right. And yeah. um, I, I feel like I've said some some mean things about uh, people that I, I, I do respect and fans overseas and, and people have kind of michael did you get called out this week so somebody yeah somebody said they um were not very happy with all of the uh kind of insults that we've been hur- hurling at our, our uk fans and then listen here here's the thing right it's a dumb american shtick i obviously don't think any of the things that i've said are true right. um I, I am just doing that whole like i'm a dumb american and we think stupid things because we don't we're uninformed right so in all fairness this week i've decided to insult a population that is very close to both of us brian and that would be and, Dumb Americans, okay? Oh, yes. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I, I'm a dumb American, and I just elected a reality TV star to be my president, right? And I love, <laughs> I love my guns and my flags, and waving my flags while I shoot my guns. And by I the don't way, understand. Uh-huh. This is the way that I envision British people and everybody else around the world when they do uh, when they insult an American or they have their stereotypical American. Right. This right. is kind of what I envision them doing now. Right. Exactly. I like to fry all my food, including all my cakes. And I don't believe that we should have health care for anybody unless you're rich. You know what I'm saying? 
<laughs> Gotta watch my Fox News over here, right? And listen, we love milk over here in America. We drink milk all the time. I know no other animals drink milk once they're adults, right? But here in America, we drink milk all the damn time. It does the body good. There you go. Yeah, man. America. Woo! Gotta get them flags. Don't tread on me. Woo! Sh- should I insert like a shotgun sound effect after you said that? Or <laughs> That would be awesome. A little duck call. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll have to. Uh, a little, a little uh, you know, Star Spangled Banner underneath us or something, you know? Or... Yeah, I just get the word, oh, say, can you see I'll, I'll get Lee Greenwood. Yeah, I'll get Lee Greenwood with, you know, uh, you know some, oh, some Americana. Oh, to be an American. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh my God! All this is going to be preserved on radio forever now. You know oh. that, right? This oh, is yeah. terrible. What have I done? Oh, Neil Diamond coming to America. He coming to America. <laughs> yeah, we got to get all that good stuff Oof. in there, right there. We love so, our eagles and our, our fireworks, man. That's I, it. I did our weekly rundown, and there was like the rundown just kept going and going and going with everything that's kind of happened this past week. But as much as we have to get to, and I know that we don't want to go too long, we probably mm-hmm. will. Um. There is something more pressing we have to talk about right off the bat. Okay. Did you see the trailer for Creed 2? Oh, I have not seen it yet. Oh, my God. Oh. When did it come out? It came out yesterday. It came out on Wednesday. Yes. Creed 2 trailer. Should I pause this right now so you can see it? The two minutes and 20 seconds of glorious that it is? I, I, you know, I can't even just, speak right now. I'm so excited thinking oh, about it, man. I, I think we just let this simmer. We let this simmer and I'm going to just anticipate oh. this for the next two hours. I mean, I'm excited. I'll, I'm going to let your mind run. I'm not going to tell you what was in it, but there's, there's a lot of good stuff in it. And then when you get to the end, I feel like my shivers, life has purpose shivers, again. Shivers. I feel like my life has purpose. I have, I have not felt this uh, passionate about mm. anything in forever. The worst part about this is. We have to wait till Thanksgiving for the movie oh. to come out. Oh, now, now remind me, it is not right. It is not um, Ryan Coogler who directed. It is the not Ryan Coogler. I can't remember the director, but they did find another young up and coming director. There was there was rumors that um, Sylvester Stallone was going to direct it, but uh, after that, he had done, he did Balboa, right? So, so that he, right. I think did he write the treatment for this one? Too? I think he's the writer. Um, he might've been involved. I'm not sure. Cause remember with Creed, he did not want to be involved and Ryan Coogler had to convince him to you be a part of the movie. And he had a, he had a fantastic part of the movie. Remember he got nominated for an, um, supporting actor, you know, Academy award. And right. I thought he should have won, but he didn't. But regardless, it was, it was a great role and he's back for this one as well. Michael B. Jordan is back as the main character, Donnie. Um, and you've got all the other particulars are in this plus some new characters well and, and and that whole supporting actor thing that uh sylvester stallone didn't win always felt like a that was one of those heart-wrenching um oscar losses oh. only because sylvester stallone has contributed so much to film history and more specifically that character of rocky has contributed so much to film history that the fact that he wasn't able to win even just a best supporting actor award uh, for that role just felt like such a slight at the time. Yeah, it did. I mean, I apologize. I can't, I can't remember the actor's name. Um, that one, he was, he was in bridge of spies, Mark repants. Is that his name? They might even see that movie. What's like, what's the movie even about bridge of spies? Oh, bridge uh-huh. of spies is a good movie. And don't tell me it's about a bridge of spies. Okay. No, Obviously. it's about basically the, the part at the end is there's a big trade of, of, uh, personnel between the united states and 
I believe Russia, but I mean it's it's during. <laughs> it sound like it's a like it's a sports deal. Well, they exchanged their quarterbacks in a landmark uh, deal this here, morning. Here, here, here. I'll, I'll, I'll read. During the Cold War, an American lawyer is recruited to defend an arrested Soviet spy in court, and then help the CIA facilitate an exchange of the spy for the Soviet captured American U two spy plane pilot. Exchange of personnel. <laughs> yes. Their general manager swapped positions today and something way, that will <laughs> Mark Rylance is the actor that won Best Supporting Actor that year instead of Sly Stall. So Mark Rylance. Is that even yes. a real person? It is. Mark, he was he was the the guy huh. in um Ready Player One that was like the, the architect of the whole game. I haven't seen that movie yet. How have you not seen Ready Player One? I was gonna go, but then it's it really good. It was it was playing at times I couldn't go. I, my movie pass wasn't in yet. It's really good. I mean, if you can find it someplace, go see it. Yeah, I, I will. You know, it's probably the cheap seats. By uh, no, actually, it wasn't the cheap seats. I'm probably going to have to rent it now. I don't by know the, this guy at all, Mark Rylance. Here's another thing that's going on right now when it comes to the movie business. Word came out on Wednesday that I guess Disney and Lucasfilm have decided to no longer go forward. At least for now, they're hitting pause on the standalone Star Wars movies because Solo didn't do monster business. You know, this seems like, uh, I know we um, need to get together on this at some point and talk about Solo, but this would be a great topic of conversation for an overrun at some time because I have lots of thoughts. I have all the thoughts about this deal or about this situation. Because, I mean, I'm somebody that didn't think Solo was like this awesome, incredible movie, but I thought it was a good, fun movie. I enjoyed it. And... You know, it didn't do well for a variety of reasons. And now it's going to cost us from seeing a Boba Fett movie, um, possibly a Yoda movie, um, whatever other ideas. They're going to focus on episode nine and then another trilogy beyond that. I, you know, Solo was fine. I don't think I liked it nearly as much as you did. I, I went and saw it and it was, you know, it had its moments of being entertaining. But I thought by and large, it felt like a very pointless endeavor. Mm. Only because you kind of know where everybody goes, and I didn't need it filled in a lot of gaps that I didn't need filled in. It told well, me a lot of things I didn't need. To, I didn't. Care, I didn't care where Han Solo got his gun or why he calls Chewie Chewie. Like really, that's one of the things when it comes to these standalones. That's really tough. Is that we already know where they get to, and right. there is still something to when you watch Star Wars: and Empire Strikes Back, where you meet these characters, but you can kind of just have thoughts dance around your head about what their backstory is and you don't need those gaps necessarily filled in because then it's kind of like ooh, the mystery behind this person i wonder what this was or that was and now you're kind of having it explained then it kind of takes out some of the allure i guess absolutely and i I don't know that it means anything like all that story was fine but the fact they were setting up for a a trilogy around han solo just didn't really mean anything you know i i was excited by the idea of a Boba Fett movie. I think everybody else I talked to was like, that seems like the pointless one, but no, 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 no. Like this kind of like rogue Western in my mind. And then there's no reason to think they would do this, but in my mind, this Boba Fett movie was going to be this rogue Western him kind of out, out there on the planets, Clint Eastwood style doing his thing, meeting these dynamic casts of bounty hunters all across the galaxy. Like that seemed really fun to me mm-hmm. only because Boba Fett's such a quiet character you're not going to do a whole lot of deep character introspection with this dude right but if he's out there meeting all these other bounty hunters in the seedy underbelly uh, places they didn't go with Solo I think they could have gone with Boba Fett and it been a, a fun movie but you know I, I, I get it you, you don't want to go this route you want to make movies 
that have more interesting story possibilities because you're not a movie like solo you're constrained by what happened in the original trilogy by what happened in the new movies and so the fact that they can do a separate trilogy with entirely new storylines that's a much more exciting proposition and i think audiences will show up for those much more than they will these kind of side story single projects We'll talk about this more in an overrun uh, podcast we do for our Patreon uh, supporters. By the way, if you're not supporting us on Patreon, please do that. Go to patreon.com backslash between the ropes. You get the ad free version of this podcast. Plus, we do at least two bonus podcasts per month. Sometimes it's wrestling related. Sometimes it's entertainment related movies, TV. Mike and I uh, consume a lot of that. In fact, I've got some other ideas for some upcoming overrun podcast but there's there's little Ooh. projects because i think we want to talk about solo and star wars and where that's at right now i think we want to talk about fall movies we want to talk about the americans which i did finish uh-huh okay. and we do need to do one on the netflix documentary the staircase okay okay we started watching that the other night and it takes place right here in north carolina in durham north carolina Mm-hmm. A about place an hour. that I will never live in now after I watch this documentary. Durham's like kind of like a, it's it's very similar to Winston in a lot of ways. An old tobacco town that has kind of reinvented itself in the age of technology and breweries and all that stuff. It's about an hour 20 down the interstate, but. Uh, right. So yeah. this I didn't realize this, but this documentary actually got released at least a few years ago. I, I don't know if it was three, four, five years ago, but what they've done is they've updated it with um, some other episodes as the story has gone along as this it's, it's all surrounding a mysterious murder case and I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, but they've updated it with some new episodes as the case has gone along and there's been things that have happened along the way. So, um, but it's fascinating. It's all along the lines of uh, uh, making a murderer. Yeah. Yeah. It very you know, much felt like that. Yeah. It's very much like that. So um, we will probably break that one down because that one is fascinating. We might have to bring in Jason Powell for that one, too. Wow. Would Powell do a podcast with me? Um, ProWrestling.net's Jason Powell. Would he, would he lower himself to the standards of joining mm, between the ropes when I am on the air here? If I um, offer him a couple of uh, Michelob Ultras, I think he will. If Powell drinks Michelob Ultras? I think that's what it is. It's something <laughs> like that. It's Michelob oh, something. It's Michelob this is something. Good. Yeah. I mean, if it's Michelob Light, that's more legitimate, right? It's but not like, Michelob Light. It's like Michelob. What is it? Well, it's I guess one, they don't, it's one of the Michelob brands. Uh huh. Yeah. I can't remember exactly which one off the top of my head, but Mick I know Ultra. he drinks it's Michelob. probably Ultra. Got to keep those, that true waistline mm, in, man. I don't think it's Ultra. 90 calories or less. I, I don't think it's Ultra, but I can't remember off the top of my head. It's, it's one of those. Is there like a Mick Gold or something? Um, I don't, I have no idea. Does he drink nat- Natty Light? Is that what it is? It's just Natty no, Light. No, 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 no. <laughs> he, he would not lower himself to that standard. Oh, oh, he drinks this one. Michelob Ultra Dragon Fruit Peach. That's what it is. No, that sounds like <laughs> something that I would drink, okay? <laughs> I'll, I will fully admit that. That's probably something that I would, yeah, I would enjoy. Yeah, that's you. I, I like the fruity stuff. Mm. Let's, um, let's get into the packed week of wrestling because there, there's a lot of stuff that happened. We'll talk about Extreme Rules and uh, TakeOver, but... Uh, some big news came down on Wednesday, the unfortunate passing of uh, Vader, Leon White. Some people knew him as Big Van Vader. Uh, Vader passing away at the age of 63. His sons, one of his sons revealing on Twitter, on Vader's Twitter account, that his father had passed away on Monday night. Uh, Vader had been dealing with uh, heart issues for the last few years. 
He actually had open heart surgery back in uh, March, I believe it was. It was in March or May. I apologize, but he had he had open heart surgery earlier this year and was having some problems from that. He had pneumonia uh, last month and his heart gave out on Monday. And he was very open about his health condition. He even said at some point, I believe last year, that doctors had told him he only had a couple of years to live. Uh, once he had uh, surgery, he thought maybe it was going to be a, extended a little bit more, but obviously was not. And um, it it's no surprise that Vader, unfortunately, had a heart condition because you're looking at a guy that lived a very physical, rough life in the ring, but also a guy that size. Because we're talking about somebody that, um, you know, during his prime was around 400 pounds. You know, later in life, he was more than that, probably closer to 450, maybe even higher than that, which is it's natural to put on weight later on in life. But um, you are talking about just a hulking beast of a man. But, you know, when we talk about Vader, you know, you can easily make the argument that he is the best big man or the best super heavyweight, whatever you want to call it, but the, the best super heavyweight wrestler of all time. And he's one of these guys that really had an impact on wrestling, was a huge, huge star that I don't think always gets the recognition for the impact that he had on the wrestling business during his career, which spanned you know, around 40 years. It's, it's crazy to me because to be such a big guy, to be such a loud personality, it often feels like his contributions to the business at a very crucial time, right? That transition from uh, 80s wrestling to 90s wrestling, and then in the Attitude Era uh, for both promotions, both WWF and WCW at the time, to have contributed so much and done so much and been such a loud personality, it feels like he just doesn't... People don't talk about him as much, and don't talk about him the same way. And I think it's just because the timing of things, the way he didn't... He didn't really. He was involved in WWE for a hot minute, and then he was in Japan. And um, I think all of that kind of a roundabout way. He was in WCW before it got hot. He seems like he was always right on the cusp. But to your point, he's contributed so much to the business. He was such a huge personality. He was one of those guys who could go wrestle um, in Japan and be a big name over there. I mean, listen, this is a guy who had a video game character uh, from a Capcom made. Uh, video game based on pro wrestling, an arcade game based on pro wrestling, he had a character that was based off of him in this game. Those are the kind of crazy things you just don't see happen. And, and I remember his personality in the ring, he was just, he can move, right? He, he was one of those first big guys who could really move. Right. But he just had this hulking presence. You know, I always think back to the, the, the Kane storyline and um, Kane came out as this big monster, right? He was kind of that big prototypical monster Vince McMahon loves, and nobody could stop him. Well, the first guy they ever used that I remember to put Kane kind of on his rear end was Vader. And they had this really great, I think it was a pretty short one-month, two-month feud, but they had this really great feud where Vader was the guy who was taking Kane down. He didn't actually accomplish that totally, but that just sticks out to me as kind of who he was. He was that big man. Um, he had a following. He had a name. He, he, you know, people I think lost sight of him in the last decade, really, especially here stateside. I think he made his last major appearance outside of the Raw 1000 back in 2005. I think maybe. Well, he remember he he did that angle with Will Osprey, where oh, yeah. it was the big guy, little guy, where he was acting like, oh, little guys won't last and everything, and it was really heated between them on the Indies, which. I think there was some reality to that, but at the same time, I think there was some respect. Sure. Sure. So it's, it's, um, you know, it's interesting. I, um, I really hate it. I, I hate that everything, I, you know, he was, what do you say? 62. 
63 years old. Yeah. 63. Um, you know, his heart got the better of him. He had been saying for a while on, on Twitter, his Twitter has, if you've not followed him on Twitter, you should go follow him on Twitter because he is quite the tweeter yeah. the way he writes things. But, uh, he's, um, there's a lot of know, all caps going on there. <laughs> that's right. He, he tweets like he does promos, right? Yes. So for what's that's for that's sort. But, but it did seem like, um, he was having some health issues and you were never sure. I mean, I think about a year ago, he's like, I don't have much longer to live. And my doctor said I have this much time. And then he had that gnarly scar from the open heart surgery earlier this year. And it's like, well, maybe he's turning around. I, I am just. I'm saddened that this suddenly happened as a result of pneumonia, which which was a result of his sur- surgery. Um, you know, I have thoughts and prayers with his friends and families and fans. Because he had openly lobbied to get into the WWE Hall of Fame. And you don't see that too often from some people. And he was a guy that obviously was well-deserving, especially now the WWE recognizes other promotions, you know, when it comes to their Hall of Fame. And Vader worked for them, you know. And... He really wanted to be in. He gave the induction speech for Stan Hansen a few years ago when he went in. And he even said then, like, hey, I'm hoping to get in. He wanted to be in the Hall of Fame. He deserved it. And I think he really wanted to go in because it meant a lot to him. But he knew that, you know, the clock was ticking, you know, when it came to him. Mm-hmm. And um, it's unfortunate now that he is not going to be there to give an induction speech when that day comes that he does go into the Hall of Fame. It will be one of his sons, I would assume. And that's something that that always bothers me when it comes to wrestling or even other sports. When you see your favorite stars, people that are deserving of the Hall of Fame. I'm not talking about guys that are you know on the cusp or whatever, especially when you're talking about baseball, football, whatever. You're talking about true Hall of Famers, guys that really had an impact on their sport. And they wait so many years to get in. And then there's those occasions where somebody passes away. And they get in afterwards and they're not there to appreciate it and to enjoy the moment and to be recognized, you know, while they're alive. And unfortunately, that is the situation we're in now when it comes to Vader. I don't I don't know what WWE's plans were. I don't know how close he's come to being put in the Hall of Fame. We know how subjective it is with WWE and they have their reasons for when they put somebody in, when they don't. Um, I'm sure that he was looked at very closely. Maybe they were thinking, well, he'll go in next year or, or so. I don't know. Um, I hope he goes in, you know, next year, um, or, you know, sometime within the next couple of years, um, because he, he obviously deserves it. And, um, I think a lot of people would appreciate seeing him in there as well. Just because like I said, the impact that he had, you know, in the wrestling business, I mean, this is a guy that he was a college football star He played in the NFL, his knees basically gave out. So he, he transitioned to a career in wrestling. And we talk about, you know, this super heavyweight guy. That was super quick, super violent as well. But he just moved like somebody that was half his size a lot of right. times. I mean, the other the other big guy that we always talk about being quick as a cat for his size is Bam Bam Bigelow. Right. Because, I mean, he would, you know, break out cartwheels and stuff during matches, you know. But, um, but Vader was just this big, bulking beast that came at you full bore every time, but was just so fast, so agile. And he was the right guy to hit Japan at the time that he did when he went to New Japan and you know, he was immediately made a star. Like he got a victory over um, Antonio Inoki. Now it was after Inoki lost a match to um, or had beaten uh, Ricky Choshu in a match, but Vader immediately challenged him to a match one that made him a made man. 
over there. I mean, you're talking about the first Gaijin, the first non-Japanese person to ever win the IWGP Heavyweight Championship, Triple yep. Crown winner when it came to All Japan. Um, he had a match, as we all know, or a lot of people probably know, but the legendary story, he had a match with Stan Hansen, where before the match even began, he got hit in the face with Stan Hansen's bull rope that broke his nose. And as the match went on, this ultra-physical brawl between these two guys, Stan Hansen accidentally poked his eye out. He poked Vader's eye out to where Vader had to pull up his mask, which was a huge thing in Japan, and he had to put his eyeball back in its socket. And he continued the match. He held his eyeball in there with his eyelid. He just kept his eyes shut. Continued the match. They had a no contest as they went on, and then he had to have surgery for it. This dude didn't stop wrestling during that. And then it was a tough, tough, tough son of a gun. Oh my God. I mean, so I've seen some of his work, obviously, from Japan, but I had to go back and watch it because the first time that I ever remember seeing him was when he came to WCW. And I remember seeing that dude and just like, oh my God. Like he had these awesome feuds with um like he was just mauling people left and right you know he beat up cactus jack the infamous you know power bomb on the floor to cactus jack that he did that helped cactus jack become like a more likable character even though he was still a very understandable or misunderstood character at the time because he was just a wild man um he had the feud with sting which unfortunately included the white castle of fear and now that infamous video package that they have which <laughs> is on youtube and uh <laughs> Yeah, you know, but they they had great matches. They were very physical. You had the feud with Flair. They even did the thing where you know Flair was going to have one last opportunity at the title, and um, or he was going to retire if he lost. And he beat Vader in this very emotional match, and I believe it was in Charlotte. Um, but just I remember the presence of seeing Vader when he showed up. Just his overall size. Uh, he had that weird mask on, which wasn't a full mask, but just kind of this webbing that went over his face, you know, with his red and black leather, you know, mask. When he wore like that mastodon helmet with the steam blowing out of it, just unbelievable presence of this dude. That I, when I've gone to wrestling shows, I mean, you, you see bigger than life characters all the time. There's only been two people that have legit, when I've seen them in person, going, "Oh my god, that guy scares the hell out of me." The only two that I've ever seen up close and personal were Brock Lesnar and Vader. Mm. And I had been around Vader for a couple of matches. Like I'd never met him or I actually did meet him one time, but that was years later. That was during a, a WrestleMania weekend where I ran into him at a lobby of a hotel, but just an unbelievable presence of a guy that would go out there and just scare the life out of people. I mean, I, he probably scared the hell out of wrestlers too, just because you knew you were in for a fight that night. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't as bad as say like, Rick Steiner or a Scott Steiner, but you knew it, things were about to get super physical when you got I, in there with this dude. He reminds me, and I, this is not demeaning or belittling at all, but the energy he brought out there, just his his intensity, uh, the way he approached his matches, just the way he approached his the, the entirety of his persona out there in front of that crowd is a lot like the Ultimate Warrior with just that full bore nonstop, you know, I'm just bringing everything I got and I'm going to throw it out there. And it's, it's just, mm -hmm. you know, that's, that's, that's something of a bygone era. We talk a lot about nowadays how um, guys are so athletic and they can do this and that and the other. And, and guys, a lot of bigger guys nowadays can move, right? It's something that's kind of required. But, but back then, somebody like Vader, that was not the norm. 
for no. a big guy to have that level of flexibility and, and all that stuff. So um, he just he really did. He, he broke the mold and kind of, I think, shaped the mold for the kinds of wrestlers him and you mentioned Bam Bam Bigelow as well for the kinds of wrestlers we have now. We were talking earlier about the uh, his lobbying to get into the Hall of Fame and I don't want to lose sight of this, you know. I, I definitely think it is it's it's a shame that we're not going to ever have that cap on his career with a WWE Hall of Fame speech. And and you know, I get it. He's he is as big outside of the country as he was inside the country, right? But there is something special about a guy being able to be there at the Hall of Fame giving that speech. And I, I, I blame the the structure of the Hall of Fame for this. You know, we we are so we, we don't always I get WWE wants to have a variety of people from across their cards at these Hall of Fame ceremonies, but there have definitely been spots for Vader in the last couple of years, especially as his health has been waning more, that I think they should have made an opportunity for him. And and I think it's a shame that you you could take out any of these kind of second or third tier guys stick vader in there you know they're not always as big nowadays on making the guys who were big 20 years ago their headliners but you could have you could have put vader in there last year and replaced somebody on that second or third tier very easily and it's it's uh you know they didn't for whatever reason it's a shame um i think it's a, a missed opportunity i do too and for for anybody that's interested in checking out his career, if you haven't seen all of his work, yes, he worked for WCW where he had good run. He was in you know WWE WWF at the time. But if you really want to see his best stuff, you got to go back to uh, late eighties, early nineties of New Japan. Go and check uh, that out. Go check out his Japanese work. That's that's really where Vader did his best work and had his best run. Now. Remember, it's a little bit of a different era when you look at these matches. So the structure is probably a little bit different. Maybe the pace is a little bit different. But, um, you know, Vader is a legendary figure and a guy that, um, you know, was bigger than life on face. And, you know, when you saw him in wrestling, I mean, just an unbelievable heel, an unbelievable wrestler for his time. And, um, you know, he contributed a lot to the business. I hope people recognize that. When he wore that damn mask and the steam came out of that thing, I was just like, oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, it's just unbelievable. I was like, who the hell even makes a mask like that? Like, he was already like a scary figure. And, yeah, then, it's, and then he wore that thing. And you were just like, this this guy came from like a like the Middle Ages or something. He's just here right. to terrorize people. We talked so much, I mean, and I said this a minute ago about how today's athletes are, today's pro wrestlers are a lot more uh, athletic and they're known for that sense of just high level dynamism. Dynam- Dynamism, right? Just that ability to be super, 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 um, have that high endurance and, and do all these kind of crazy moves in the ring. But I think what we've lost and what we've lost sight of is that old school wrestlers before this generation, especially in the early 90s, late 80s, they were just known for being tough as nails. They didn't need the athleticism because they would go out there and fight and brawl. And that story you ta- you brought up about Vader and the eyeball and, and that match just is indicative of that entire era, their mindset that, listen, I could break a leg out here, right? And I want to keep going because I'm not going to break this matchup because I got injured. And I just think that's so... That's so incredible. Now, I think it's crazy to a certain extent, but it, but it's you know it's a testament to what these guys are willing to put themselves through for the sport and for this business. And I think Vader embodies that. So years ago, when we were doing um, Between the Ropes on the radio, I saw an item for sale online and I bought it and I gave it to Dickerman and he still has it to this day. It is a Vader clock because that way it's always Vader time. It was such a great idea. It's just a simple wall clock <laughs> with a big photo of Vader underneath <laughs> it with the arms extended because That's you know, awesome. it's time. It's Vader right. time. So it's always Vader time. You know, now, mind you, 
did that clock always tell the best time and keep up? No, but you know what? It doesn't need to. It was just, I remember seeing that. I was like, I got to get this. And, uh, but I, but I gave it to Dickerman. He still has it. I think it's his office, you know, it is his job, but um, yeah, it's, I, I love that we actually have that. And in fact, I'm, I might try to see if I can get it from him because yeah. I, don't, I don't know if he's using it. I, I got to at least get a picture of that damn thing. It's so wonderful. Um, one other quick story. So, um, a few years ago when WrestleMania was in Miami, I was down there, uh, with our buddy Pedro and we were in the lobby of our hotel. We were coming back hot day. You know, we're just wearing shorts and like, I think I was wearing like a, a long sleeve button up, you know, just kind of sleeves rolled up really hot. We're all a little bit sweaty or whatever. And, um, you know, there's, there's different wrestlers that are in town, obviously for, um, conventions and other shows and whatnot. And, um, there in the lobby, as we walk in, there is Vader. And like, I know that like, you know, he gets paid for autographs and pictures and stuff like that at conventions, but it's just like, this is the only opportunity I'm probably going to have to meet this guy right now. You know, at least, you know, at least for the moment, he's right there. And who knows when I'm going to get another opportunity unless I go to a convention and, you know, wait in line and, and do all these things. He's right there right now. Right. So right. I walk up to Vader and I said, Hey, I'm, I'm a big fan. Is there any way that I could get a picture? I just went total fanboy on him. Right. And Vader, you know, he's hot. He doesn't want to be bothered. He's, he's doing whatever, but he kind of goes, uh, and he turns around and is like, all right, we're ready to do the picture. Like he, he turns towards my buddy and I was like, okay, cool. So Pedro's got the camera out. I don't know if it was like a real camera at the time or if it was actually on his phone, whatever. Right. But he's kind of framing it up or whatever. And under his breath, Vader goes, take the damn picture. <laughs> right. So he takes the picture and I get it. And I'm like, thank you. And he was like, eh. and he kind of walks off. And it's like, I'm not mad at him because I don't know what his day's been like. He's got other things to do. And there's some, you know, fanboy right there that wants to take a picture with him. So whatever. Right. Anyway, we get into the elevator and as the door's about to close, in walks Vader. And we're like, oh. So, and we don't say anything to him. You know, we just hit our floor or whatever. We, he gets out, he, on our floor. And we get out too. And it looks like we're following him at this point. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, uh, and then like, luckily we kind of let him like take a couple steps in front sure. of us, you know, let it breathe a little bit. We right. know where we're going. And he just starts, he's on this floor and he's like looking around. And I don't know if he, he couldn't remember what room number for him or somebody he was going to meet or, or whatever it was. But we just kind of walk right past him and go straight to our room and go in there. And we're like, all right, you know, he's not going to think we're following him or anything. We can prove we're, we're staying not crazy on this fan floor. Well, yeah, right. we're not, we're not crazy fanboys, nothing like that. I mean, there were some other wrestlers that were staying on the same floor that we were at. So I don't know if it was like, he couldn't remember his room number. He couldn't remember who he was meeting or, or whatever was going on. But I did not want Vader thinking that I was following him. I was stalking the guy. <laughs> so yeah, not somebody you want to follow, not somebody you want thinking that, uh, that he needs to be uh, guarding himself from you. Right. So I love the picture though. I have to send you the picture sometime yeah. where he's just kind of got this, like not angry face, but just kind of like, oh, God damn fanboys around there. And I'm just like really happy. I'm like, hey, it's Vader. Yeah. That's, you know, <laughs> that's Fritzy, the consummate Vader fanboy. There you oh, go. I was like, when was I going to get another opportunity like that? I, I just remember turning to Pedro going, dude, that is Vader. I got to get a picture. I got to like, I, I normally don't like fanboy out for people that sure. much, but I was just like, that's, that's Vader. You can't miss this guy. You know, yeah. it's just such a big presence, you know? And like I said, we just, one of only two people that legit, when I've gone to a show, like 
just scare me when you see them. You're like, oh my God, like get out of the way. Here comes Vader. Just unbelievable presence. Huge, and, uh, huge, huge loss for the world of wrestling, I think. And uh, I know a lot of maybe newer fans. If you if you become a fan in the last 15 years, you, Vader is a fringe name to you, right? But but this guy's impact um, is, is cannot be understated. Cannot be, I mean, can be understated. Cannot be overstated, right? And um, I just, you know, yeah, I hope that, I hope that people appreciate like a career like this because it wasn't necessarily one that, especially as American fans, where it really stood out because it was years ago and you know he really made his name in Japan. But I hope that people that really understand wrestling um, or really like wrestling, you know, get an opportunity to go back and watch some of his stuff and really have a, a great appreciation for his impact on the wrestling business. Mm. Let's get into what happened this past weekend. So we got some WWE shows. Uh, <laughs> do you want to start with Money in the Bank or do you want to start with Takeover? I mean, let's start in the uh, order they happen. Let's start with TakeOver. Let's okay. Do it. Let's start with TakeOver because going into the weekend, I said this on last week's podcast, not that this was some kind of a hot take or anything like that, but I think we both agreed Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano street fight was going to be the best match of the weekend. Yeah. And it was the best match of the weekend. Absolutely. And these guys are crazy. Crazy. I mean... They fought every which way around the building and told a fantastic story. Again, I know some people had a couple of qualms with near the end of it, like where was the referee and things like that. But um, weird things happen in these street fights, I guess. But um, give these guys all the credit in the world for what they put their bodies through in this match and the story that they told. Once again, even with the uh, you know part where Johnny Gargano gets his wedding ring ripped off, and then he does this crazy bump outside the ring over by like the production area where he uh, takes out uh, Champa and they go through two tables, not stacked up, just, uh. you know, just side by side. He's on like, what is it? Some like some production case box, whatever, yeah. but they're probably what? 10, 15 feet up. And he they were up there, man. And yeah. they come crashing down through this thing, like right onto the concrete through the tables. What was that move he did? I I, I can never think of what it's called. It's kind of like a um, he holds them behind the back. I mean, the move he did off right, the top right, right. there was just one of those moves that when you see that move done at elevation, where they where they pull him, I, I should know the name of this, right? But where they put him kind of behind their back and wedge. I want to call it a reverse. Uh, if you ever know Al Snow's finisher when he was in WWE, I think even in TNA, he had a move called the Snowplow, and basically he kind of cradled him up and kind of like a reverse DDT, right? But it's the opposite of that because you're pulling them around behind your back and then you're jumping down with them, landing on them as you hold their head under your right arm and they are laid across your back. Um, yeah, anyway, that move is insane anyway. I always, it's one of those moves that you're like, that's a rough bump to take, right? But right. That high, it's even more intense. I'm not even going to try to... Say what I mean, it's he gets him up on his shoulders and you know, drop him down, you know, and um, I, it's the name is escaping me, my horrible memory yeah, right now, yeah. so I don't want to totally butcher it. Just but go I mean, watch just, the match and you'll see it, right? Yeah, it's just unbelievable. And and during the match, like at one point, like um, Ciampa gets out these bolt cutters and he's cutting apart the ring and he pulls back the tarp, he pulls back the the protective um, foam part of the ring and he has the exposed wood. And they have that sitting there for a while before they use it. And at the end, you know, it looks like, you know, Gargano is going to win. 
this very personal heated feud. His wife has been involved, all these different things. Remember, his wife didn't even want him doing the match. But right before the match even began, she came out and she was just like, go kick his ass, right? She, he, gets, he gets the pass. It's, you know, it's, uh, he finally gets that moment from his wife to go out there and do it. Um, so, but at the end, it backfires in that he's coming into the ring and Ciampa catches him and gives him a DDT like spikes him right on his head on the exposed board and gets the cover. And then he has this maniacal devious smile on his face. Like I got one over on you. You beat the crap out of me yet. I'm the one that got the win come the end of the night. It was a heel victory. It was a true heel win. It was, it was awesome. I mean, just I, they, these guys went 35 minutes of beating the crap out of one another. There are so many things that I, I really want to talk about with this match, and I know we only have a limited amount of time here, but number one, this card was a fine card, and we can talk about the other matches here in a minute. This match elevated the card, and that's what a great main event should do. It should make your entire wrestling card feel better, right? It shouldn't just be another match on the card. The main event should should bring everything up a notch and make people more fondly remember the entire night of wrestling. And this, this match absolutely did that. Oh yeah. And number, number two, we, we spent so much time after NXT takeover new Orleans talking about how great their, their battle was there. Right. And how I think Dave Meltzer called it one of the best, it, one of the best wrestling matches on American soil in years is the way he put it. I don't remember his exact wording, but basically we haven't seen that match this good in quite some time here in America. And, you're, you're thinking to yourself, they had such a great match that night. This feud has been so personal. They're going to go to take over Chicago. How can they come anywhere close to that? Especially because that was an unsanctioned match, right? So we saw similar elements. This is a Chicago street fight. You're going to see some things overlap here. But it felt like it every step of the way. And I, I hate to compare them because they're, they're different enough and we start getting kind of nitpicky here. But it felt like every step of the way, these guys were finding something new. In the storytelling leading up to the match, they were doing uh, the involvement of our Gargano's wife. And all of these things happened. But then during the match, they found all of these little unique twists to make it more interesting. Take it to that next level. It felt like the intensity is still building here. You know, It made sense that we would have Tommaso Ciampa win here because they were still stoking the flames throughout this match but just the small elements of storytelling that they, they filter in here you mentioned the wedding ring um, the way that they had pulled back the mats before coming back to that later all of this stuff was just timed so well and the handcuffs the handcuffs right it it plays with your emotions in ways that you don't even expect it it causes you to react involuntarily and that's what great wrestling should do great wrestling should not be me sitting there thinking i like this because it's trying to get me to do this it just organically makes me feel and react to these things and it's it's a true testament to the the level of number one the level of brutality these guys put each other through in this match but number two the level of just artful wrestling storytelling that gargano and chop the uh intentionality gargano and Ciampa put into these matches because it feels like, you know, they, they took everything up a notch and this match was able to stand on its own despite how great takeover New Orleans was. So the move is a Celtic cross. Mm, OK, so, yeah, I, I had to look that up before people yeah, it's were the just move that used to do all the time. Right. Seamus so, is Irish, right? There. Sure. And uh, but here's the thing, you know, when we talk about a feud like this, one of the things that we always complain about when it comes to wrestling, especially when it comes to WWE. Um, 
is just the emotional involvement, the attachment that you get. And that's why when we sit here and we talk about there's no baby faces, there's no heels, you have these shades of gray, WWE just wants a reaction. I get that. That's what wrestling is to some extent now. We had that during the NWO days. We get that during the Bullet Club because there are times where you're supposed to hate the Bullet Club. There's times you're supposed to cheer the Bullet Club. We're in one of those times right now where you're basically you're supposed to cheer them or at least part of them you know when it comes to like the golden elites yes you're going to cheer them are you going to boo the other guys on there quite possibly especially when it comes to somebody like cody or even an adam hangman page so what what these guys have been able to do is take a storyline and dig themselves so deep into it and have such a personal attachment to it that make you get emotional about to make you you have this visceral feeling about it and it's it's not one of these things where, you know, there's going to be some people that are going to pull for Champa. There's always going to be some outliers, but an overwhelming majority of people are getting behind Johnny Gargano, arguably the best babyface in all of wrestling against this maniacal heel and Tomasa Champa, a guy who was once his tag team partner. They were as tight as you can imagine of friends, of champions, of guys that team together. And for whatever reason, he decided to turn on Johnny Gargano just because he felt like he wasn't getting his comeuppance. And he's taken it to this whole other level where he doesn't just want to beat him. He wants to embarrass him. He wants to take him out of wrestling. He wants to humiliate him in front of his wife. All of these different things to where you get the end of the, We've seen this a couple of times now. When Ciampa comes out for these matches at TakeOver, he doesn't have music and he's getting F you Ciampa chance. And he got it at the end of the show. That's how the show ended. After Tomasa Ciampa is doing the creepy wave goodbye to Johnny Gargano. And the crowd is chanting F you Ciampa. And that's how they go off the air. I mean, that is just amazing to get that kind of emotional emotion out of people that are there. I remember going into this match thinking, I think it's going to be awesome, but I don't know if street fight would be the way that I would go. I, don't, I wasn't sure if that was the right gimmick for this match. Come to find out it was right. because now they each have a victory. And now we have takeover Brooklyn coming up in August. Takeover Brooklyn is the biggest show of the year for NXT. And I know it's not around WrestleMania weekend, but the Brooklyn shows have been the ones that have really stood out as being the, you know, if you want to call it WrestleMania of NXT. Those well, are those the their coming ones. out party. Whenever they originally yes. did TakeOver, the TakeOver in Brooklyn was their original coming out party. And now that you have these two guys in this emotional war against one another that has gone to this level, that you know the street fight was the right call. They each have a victory. They need to have the rubber match. They need to have the war to settle the score, whatever you want to call it. It's going to happen at Brooklyn. I mean, the, the television tapings for NXT is actually tonight. Um, at full sale. And there's going to be another one before they get to, you know, take over Brooklyn. There's still a little ways out. In fact, Tomasa Ciampa basically said, I'm moving on and I want Alistair Black now. Okay. But there's no way they are not doing a third match between right. these guys. I mean, I could right. see something where Gargano is out for a little while and then comes back again. But I said this before and I'm going to say it again. And there's only one match that they can do on that show. And I know some people will say, well, you know, they can do a loser leaves town match and they can. Maybe that's the route they're going to go or loser leaves NXT, whatever it's going to be. Right. To me, there's only one match they can do that would really capture the emotion that comes with this. It's one thing to get a victory over your opponent. It would be a totally other thing 
to get them to admit, to humiliate, to degrade somebody, to make them say, I quit. That's what an I quit match is for, is to settle something this personal. And you cannot tell me that this is not the match they should not do. Come take over Brooklyn. They need to do an I quit match between Tommaso Ciampa and Johnny Gargano to end this rivalry. This this still could be, I agree with you, right? I quit match is the way to go. We've seen it capstone so many great feuds over time. But even on top of that, there is a possibility. Maybe I put too much emphasis on championship titles in pro wrestling, but there's a possibility Tommaso Ciampa could walk in as the NXT champion to NXT TakeOver Brooklyn. Yes. And that takes this capstone match to an entirely new level if Gargano is also fighting not just for the championship, right? Or ju- not just fighting for the personal feud nature, but also fighting to win the championship. So um, I think it's an exciting direction to go. You, you mentioned how much people hate Tommaso Ciampa. The music is such a nice touch. You don't realize this. There are so many small touches, so many small attentions to details that they've, they've done here. At the end of that show, Tommaso Ciampa was sitting there with that gnarly smile, just gloating. And there was no music. And, and you're so used, right? We watch wrestling day in, day out. You're so used to having that feeling of kind of completion of a match because you hear the closing music. And here we are as fans and we're upset because our guy just lost, right? We feel it because it was such a sudden victory for Tommaso Ciampa. And then the music never comes. I remember sitting there watching the end of that show like, okay, where's the music? Oh, that's right. He doesn't have music. And it just even, even something as simple as that leaves you feeling more antagonized, more anxious about the events that just took place. And it's such a small, nice touch like that that I, I think is just a tribute and testament to the storytelling these two men have brought into this. Can we, give, second- a, can we give credit where credit is due on that? And I don't think we're exposing anything too much when it comes to that. All credit goes to Steve Carino for that. He's the mm-hmm. one that came up with that idea and he pitched it and got it to where Tommaso Ciampa was not going to have ring music anymore. And that, and that started with the first match they had at TakeOver. Right, right. I think the other thing here that we haven't talked a whole lot about, and and definitely I think the announcing took a step back on Saturday night without Mario Ronaldo on the call because he adds so much to these uh, festivities, but the announcing in NXT and their attention to detail as well, right? We, we talked at length about this when we, we spoke about New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion that, um, you know, Kevin Kelly, Don Callis, they talk about the history of these wrestlers and not in these broad bullet points, right? WWE main roster, they always have these really broad bullet points. This is AJ Styles' fifth reign as champ, or AJ Styles is a multi, it's a multi-time champion, you know? AJ Styles has gone through many grueling battles with this other fellow, right? They, they do vague things like Kevin, you know, um, Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn are uh, the, have a, have had a ongoing feud for years. They, they, they make these very broad statements. New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion is very specific. You know, they, they will say things like so-and-so has been a champion for 165 days. He last won, uh, last fought this man last year at this event. Right. And I think that attention to detail from an announcing team makes the stories feel a lot more real and tangible as opposed to these broad brush, like, you know, kind of generic things. And, and that's what was happening with this match as well. That really set it up the right way. The announce team talked about how this feud began last year at NXT takeover Chicago, how these guys had been feuding for a solid year, how this event before tonight, whenever they met before, this is what happened. And I think, you know, they didn't go as in depth and in the weeds as a new Japan pro wrestling coverage would go, but they still, brought those points to life in a way that the main roster WWE, they lose all that great storytelling because they paint such broad strokes when it comes to 
telling what's happened before tonight. And and I think it set this match up the right way when you were like, oh yeah, this feud has been going on for a year. These guys have fought recently in a major event. And so uh, just a shout out to the announce team and the way they were handling that for bringing, again, announcing in pro wrestling can really add to the event and it should it should paint in the fuller picture here and that definitely happened for this match on saturday night i totally agree i mean announcing is a huge deal for me when it comes to the way that i look at a show vic joseph did the uh the uh, play-by-play for the event and he's done 205 live i think vic is really good i mean you know i mean we all know the emotion that comes out when it comes to Mauro Ronaldo, but i i like vic because it feels like I'm watching a sporting event when it comes to watching Vic. He's he's very clean with his delivery. He does a great yes. job on 205 Live. So I'm glad that they they handed the reins to him for this show. And I want to see him get more opportunities. I, I like Vic, you know, especially on this stage. I don't, I don't know how much different, and I'm sure it's a lot different when it comes to Raw or SmackDown because there's somebody else in the headset in the back on those shows. Um, but, you know, for this platform, for being in NXT and, and 205 Live and whatnot, he does a great job. And... You know, we sit here and we talk about, you know, who are going to be some of the future broadcasters when it comes to wrestling, especially in WWE. And Vic Joseph is he's really, really good. And he's got a great future ahead of him. And, you know, Nigel McGinnis does a great job on commentary. Percy Watson is kind of coming into his own. He's he's still kind of finding his spots as well. But, you know, I think he's, he's slowly but surely getting there. It's just trying to figure out where you can get in because a three man booth is difficult. Um, but it's it's interesting you mentioned that about the match that they could be doing in Brooklyn because that is another place that they could take the match from the standpoint that we know Johnny Gargano has dreamed of winning the NXT championship. And what a thorn in his side it would be if his nemesis won that title first. Right. And then they could right. and then they could have the match. I mean, then you could even do the Johnny Gargano beats Tomasa Ciampa for the title. He vanquishes his, you know, nemesis while also you know, winning the biggest championship of his career. You know, you could do that as well. I mean, I'd be perfectly fine with that one. I'd be, I'd love the idea of an I quit match. It's such an old school throwback kind of a thing. Um, They could do the loser leaves town, loser leaves NXT thing. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of that, but I I get it. If that's what they want to do, especially if they have an idea for call-ups, because I think everybody's kind of sitting here going, I love the work that these guys are doing in NXT, but we feel like, at any moment, they could be headed to 205 Live. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think both those guys are good enough. and It's, it's not a downplay on people on 205 Live. I don't, it's just because of the size thing, right? Um, but I would love to see them on Raw or SmackDown if they got the right kind of an opportunity. I'm just fearful that they wouldn't get that kind of an opportunity because of their size. Well, and, and you look at not only just their size, but... What have they done with NXT talent in the last couple of years that makes me have faith they're going to do something great with either one of these men? You've had a, Bobby Roode's a prime example of this. He's a great NXT talent. He comes up, they've completely misused him and miscast him. Shinsuke Nakamura, he has found his footing to a certain extent in this feud with AJ Styles, but it's never felt as seamless as he did when he was in NXT. And there's just this litany of guys, guys especially, right? The the men wrestlers, I think the women wrestlers have have you know you talk about Carmella who kind of came up and was a much bigger deal. Alexa bliss came up was a much bigger deal, but the guys, especially they've just not been able to kind of make them click in the same way, you know, sending them to two Oh five live. It's kind of an Island. It feels a lot more like NXT nowadays. It's being booked differently. I think that'd be really cool, right? You could kind of start creating some really fun things as, as NXT stars moving up means two Oh five live 
205 Live could become somewhat of a little bit of a an island haven for for some of these talent. It could be. It could be. You know, maybe this is another thing we should use for a deeper discussion, but talk about where talents have gone from NXT to the main roster, because you mentioned like Alexa Bliss and Carmella, you know, more known for personalities and character than in-ring work. Um, Elias, very similar way in that wasn't that big of a deal in NXT, much bigger deal in the main roster. Yeah. Um, So, I mean, there definitely are some guys that are like that. Um, Guys that have broken out after coming up, but to your point, because they had the personality and the guys who are workers first, not that they didn't have any personality. They've always kind of got lost in the shuffle. Drew yeah. McIntyre is a good example of that. What do, what do we do with Drew McIntyre? Drew McIntyre's got personality. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he has been so, since he's moved up, it's just felt kind of short change. Anyway. Yeah, we'll get to that here in a few minutes. Um, I, I know I spent a lot of time just talking about this, that one match, but it's deserving. But um, the rest of that show, I mean, it was another really, really great takeover event that hot opener with the tag team match with the undisputed era beating only lurking and danny birch that was probably second best match of the night yeah yeah i mean you had a you had a really good match between ricochet and velveteen dream um dream continues to get better there's still a couple of things about dream that i wish would get changed a little bit i think he over exaggerates sometimes when he does some moves um you know extending his arms out too much or he's just not concise on a couple of things, but mm-hmm. his timing on things is really good, especially when it comes to looking at his opponent and being in the right position and different things like that. I mean, he's still very, very young, very early in the business. I mean, there's a reason why people are so high on him. And I know there's been some talk from some people that said, well, maybe he was supposed to be on the main roster already, or it's been talked about. I don't want him touching the main roster until at least, you know, sometime around mania next year, if not a little bit longer, because I want to look at him long-term and I still think that he's got plenty of work to do, um, you know, in progressing and and getting better. And he needs to do that at NXT. Yeah, I agree. There's still some growth there that needs to happen before moving him up. The women's match was okay. Not up to the level that we normally get. I think a lot of people are wondering like if Nikki Cross is going to go to the main roster and join sanity. She was not there this week when they uh, debuted. But that doesn't mean that she can't be going there sometime soon. I want to see her there just because I think she's a great addition to that group. She's always been a, an integral part of that faction. And it yes. feels kind of weird seeing them without Nikki Cross there. Um, and then um, Alistair Black and Lars Sullivan. Lars Sullivan, for the amount of experience that he has in the business, I thought had a really good outing here. They had the one bad spot late in the match <laughs> where Alistair Black went for Black Mass and he obviously missed. And Lars Sullivan sold it. You know, that's one of those, you know, man, you're in a tough, tough spot right there. They tried to cover it up the best that they could. I, I know he took the bump for it and everything, and he, he probably shouldn't have because it was obvious he missed him. It, it wasn't like one of these he missed by two feet, but it was obvious he missed him. And, yeah. um, but yeah, I thought they recovered from that. It was a good match. I'm, I'm not going to say it was this great match, but it was a, it was a good match. And I thought it was a really good showing for Lars Sullivan. I mean, I think you could have made an argument for him to to win this match because now he's got a loss. But I mean, Alistair Black had to about kill the guy before he could get a pin on him. So I understand it from that standpoint. And we'll see what they do with um, Sullivan next. And then with Alistair Black, maybe he's going to do a short term program with Tommaso Ciampa or maybe it'll be somebody else. But we'll find out here soon enough. I mean, let's not oversell Lars Sullivan here. I think there was a it ended up being a fine match despite the despite the bad spot. And I probably this match was the low match on the card. Maybe the women's match was also kind of 
Anyway. I'd say the women's match, but it doesn't. Yeah. It doesn't, but I mean, for, yeah. for the amount of experience that Lars had, I thought, right. he, I thought he was good. Lars did fine. Lars is a guy who's going to get moved up because he's got a look that Vince McMahon likes. He's got that size. He's got that hulking figure. And he will be put on the main roster. He will either uh, swim or sink, and, and we don't know yet. But I think he will be moved up quicker as a result of that. They obviously want to push him as a monster. I don't think he is at that top of the game yet. I don't think he was. he's, he's the right fit for an NXT champion at this point. But um, we'll, we'll see what happens next. Let's get to money in the bank. And by the way, mm-hmm. I want to preface something right here. And we, I probably should have done this earlier. We are not taking questions on today's podcast um, simply because, well, two reasons. We don't like you. We well, don't like well, any of you. There's always that. But uh-huh. um, there's so much other things to get to. And we feel like a lot of it would have been kind of an overrun with um, some of the questions people probably would have asked us. Sure. But also, and I'm not naming names, but one <laughs> wow. of us forgot to put out there um, the post and the request for questions this week. And I like I said, I, I don't want to name names. I just tell everybody yeah. it wasn't me. Yeah, well, and, I was and I'll leave it at that. Which, you know, we we have um, you know, whoever does that every week, they really should get better at that. Uh, that third party who works with us, who does that, whoever that would be. Mm-hmm. It's not me. I don't. I mean, I I don't do the questions. It's okay. Uh, no. Money in the bank. I I do have a question for sure. you oh, okay. that I'm going to save though, if we have time in today's podcast. That I I was kind of thinking through this this week as I watched some things take place in WWE television, but I'll couch that for the end in our question segment. Okay, we can do that. Money in the bank. I think. Going into it, I don't know how big our expectations were for that show. I think by the end of the night, it was a it was a good show. I, it wasn't a great show. There was there was definitely some things that weren't good, shall we say? Um, but I thought the 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 good was really good. The the women had a a strong ladder match um, that was very physical. The men had a really good ladder match that a little bit of a flat ending, maybe, but. Um, you know, still a good match. And I think everybody was a little bit surprised it actually ended the show. There was, there was a point midway through the show where I was like, oh, they're going to end with Ronda Rousey and Nia Jax. And looking at what actually happened, uh, it would have made sense to do that. But they ended with the men's match. I think AJ Styles and Shinsuke Nakamura had the best match of their series that they've had. And, you know, AJ retaining the championship. I like what they did in that match where Nakamura can barely stand up to the count of 10. He's doing the come on as they're standing outside the ring by the uh by one of the announcers tables and ej styles just hits him as hard as he can kicks him you know below the belt and that's it nakamura's done for so styles gets a little bit of comeuppance and gets the victory in that but um braun Strowman wins the men's briefcase alexa bliss gets the women's and then she cashes in later on the night she beats up ronda rousey throws her out of the ring beats up uh nia Jax, cashes in and she wins the title. I think that's a scenario we all thought could have happened, but just not with Alexa Bliss. It was going to happen with Natalia or somebody else. Sure. It was interesting they went that route. I mean, it seems like they wanted to get to, uh, they wanted to protect Ronda in this event. They wanted to make sure Ronda didn't lose, but she couldn't win yet either, obviously, for storytelling reasons. I mean, Alexa, listen, Alexa Bliss, um, Nia Jax, that's been the feud for a couple of months now. It makes sense that Nia Jax would want to kind of cash in um i don't know how to put this the right way but kind of just embarrass her former friend mm-hmm. I, I i don't understand the decision that these wrestlers have sometimes if i'm thinking through it logically why would i cash in in the middle of a match why wouldn't i wait till the end because they're beaten down they're beaten down they're they're in the throes of battle it throws them off guard yeah. and they're already beaten down plus she's using that briefcase as a weapon and 
it protected the booking. It was, it was a pretty smart decision from that standpoint because we we're all wondering like, well, is Ronda already going to get a victory and win the title or are they going to have her get a loss already? And they found a workaround. Yeah. So what are your thoughts on Ronda? How, how do you, how do you feel about her performance in this match? I thought that Ronda had another outstanding night. I think for all the naysayers or all of us people that were worried about first singles match, she's doing it against Nia Jax. To me, I felt like all of that was quelled and I can understand WWE now going all the way full trigger nonstop with Ronda Rousey. Now, of course they did the, uh, she went crazy on, on raw angle and she suspended for 30 days. That makes the excuse for her not being at extreme rules. But, and I don't know if she's going to be on TV between now and then. Maybe she is. Maybe they're going to do it like Stone Cold did back in the day where he would get suspended, but would still show up on TV and raise havoc. But um, it makes sense from a storyline to keep her off TV, make her a little bit more of a special attraction where she's not there all the time, but it's a little bit more than just a part-time schedule and have her, you know, face Alexa Bliss come SummerSlam and probably win the championship. I um, you know, I I was really concerned about Ronda when she was first debuting and the way they're handling her. And I would say at Sunday night, the reaction she was getting when she walked out there uh, was putting some, it definitely put some of my concerns to bed. I think that Ronda handled herself very well in this match. There was a spot about halfway through where she took a power bomb from Nia Jax, and the announce team said, "This is the first time she's ever taken this move." And my wife leans over and said, "No, it's not. She's practiced this move a dozen times for this match, right?" Um, so I think it's it's interesting because I'm sure she and Nia went through this match step by step, beat by beat, to make it look good. I think they, they both had the weekend off, I believe. So I'm sure that they did. And I mean, yeah. I don't blame them for doing that. No, I mean, no, no. And you should do that for somebody with that level of experience when it comes to Ronda. And if that's what it takes to do a really good match for a big show and you have plans for one of them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I am not saying that as a criticism towards Ronda at all. I thought it was a funny remark and I thought my wife had a funny comeback to that. But sure. Point, point being that she did look really good in this match. The things that still raise a little bit of not, not a red flag at all. I'm not concerned about it. She will get better at this. The way she falls sometimes just looks incredibly dangerous and looks somewhat haphazard. I think she just doesn't have that feel for her body as a wrestler yet. She still has that feel for her body as a fighter. Yeah. So like when she got pushed outside the ring one time and she kind of fell awkwardly and I, I, I'm just waiting for that to get a little bit tighter. I think the but those are stuff, like natural falls. Those are not wrestling bumps. She's taking like right. the way that you would really fall down. Right, but 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 the point being, the reason you have wrestling bumps and you take wrestling bumps is to protect your body. Right. And I just I don't. Ronda is still instinctively going back to that fighter stance, and and I get it. Not a criticism. She's still learning. She's got to get past that one one thing because otherwise, at some point, that will hurt her. She will fall in a way that is natural, and she will get seriously hurt. But all that being said, I think that she showed a much better presence here than I thought she would. I think the match looked a whole lot better than I thought it would. I think it was a good match from top to bottom. I think Ronda Rousey is really doing a, a she's working hard to prove the naysayers wrong. Um, and I, I just, I think that WWE has a vision for her. And I think we are starting to see that come to fruition. I think Monday night was an example of this as well, right? They have a place. They want to go with Ronda Rousey. We've been questioning it. We've been doubting it. WWE in this case has said, we're going to kind of stick to our guns here. And it seems to be paying off. It's kind of the opposite thing that they've done with Roman Reigns. They stuck to their guns there and it didn't pay off. The big difference here, I think, is that the fans from the get go maybe did want to like Ronda Rousey. I think there was some buy in here that we never had with Roman Reigns. Well, I think the other thing, too, is that WWE obviously has seen the work that she's put in behind the scenes and it felt confident from that standpoint that they could put her in this position. And that's sure. one of those things where we can sit there and say, we don't see that. So 
oh my God, she doesn't have that much experience. How is she going to do? And they have that advantage. And that's why they're going to do that. You know, from that standpoint, at least I will give credit to Nia Jax as well. I, I hate it when we do something and we don't give the other person credit because it takes two to tango. Um, so I'll give Nia credit as well, because we're always a little bit worried about her work in the ring, which, you know, it is what it is. Okay. I'll just leave it at that. Um, not horrible, but at the same time, it's not, there's still room for improvement. And um, I thought Nia played the role extremely well. Like you said, I mean, this is a very well laid out match. And I think everybody hit their beat the way that they should have. And it worked out great for everybody involved. And, uh, you know, now we're going to get Nia against Alexa at Extreme Rules, which, okay, that that's probably not going to be as good of a match as they had here. But they've got to do that match. They've got to do the rematch. But it leads to, you know, what we think is going to be Alexa against Ronda at SummerSlam. And that, that, match, that match makes a lot of sense. I'm a little bit surprised that it is Alexa in that spot. But they really like Alexa. Just, I just thought it was kind of quick for her to go back and win the championship again. There's a story still to be told if you do something with Natalia. It's just whether or not WWE is going to pull the trigger um, and do that. Which well, you still have that story in the wings, though, you right? Do. So you know, this is I, I I think they're going a little bit fast. Again, I'm <laughs> I, I've been I've been kind of proven wrong at every step of the way here with Ronda. They they have definitely done a lot of good things here, and so I'm going to say this, knowing that I could still be wrong here. I think they're moving too fast. I think you save the championship on Ronda for WrestleMania. I'm old school that way. But maybe they do. do they, maybe. But if you do this at SummerSlam and then your first contender, Natalia, turns on her and, and because of the championship, there are places you can go to tide Ronda over until the Rumble next year, which at which point we would assume Charlotte would win. And then that would be Charlotte Ronda at WrestleMania next year. So you could still do that. I, I do think Alexa and Ronda could be a very fun feud, especially with this new kind of hard-edged Ronda here. Ronda coming out, kind of speaking less, attacking more against the schmarmy Alexa Bliss who does nothing but sass the audience and sass the, the backstage locker room and all that. That could be a fun feud. And and especially seeing Alexa every week, it's, it's you know, she's... Alexa Bliss is very much kind of like that Miz character for the women's division. And um, pairing, it's always fun when you pair the Miz up with somebody who is a good hard worker like Daniel Bryan and you have them kind of just be like the best wrestler versus the best talker. I'm not saying Ronda's the best wrestler, but the best fighter versus the best talker. It, it could be a good feud. Well, the thing is too, that we mentioned this before, but I still find it rather incredible that the women's revolution began because part of the reason why it began or this you know, emergence when it came to the women in WWE, but especially in NXT was because you have these women having these incredible matches and now it is transformed into this. We're going to do more for the women, but the women on the main roster that are put in the catbird seats that are the champions right now are the ones that are more about personality than in-ring work. You've got uh, yeah. Alexa bliss, who is this great personality. She's fine in the ring, but does she look like a tough person? No, doesn't mean she shouldn't be champion, but that's kind of the argument there. On the other side, you've got Carmella, which is really surprised everybody to the point where she got a clean victory against Charlotte Flair a month ago. And then on this show, while she got a little bit of a helping hand um, by distraction, not by somebody getting physically involved, but by distraction with James Ellsworth coming back. And then she beat Asuka, which... It's incredible to think that Carmella in back-to-back months has beaten Charlotte Flair and Asuka. And I know people will say, well, there was interference in that match. To me, there was no interference. When nobody get, puts their hands on somebody and it's just a distraction, 
Mm-hmm. That's on you because you're dumb. Right. You are right. dumb at that point. I mean, they, they're making somebody look dumb because of that, especially when you have a staring contest with somebody that's dressed like you. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, I just find that incredible that right. that's the person they've done that with is with Carmelo. Great personality still needs to work on her in ring. And yet those are the women that WWE, once they get to the main roster has gotten behind. Like I said, we have this whole women's revolution. You got all these other women that, are very good workers. It doesn't mean there's not a place for an Alexa Bliss or a Carmella, and definitely they can be champions, and definitely they can be worked in, and hopefully they will continue to get better. But it's just, it's straight away from what the pre- the premise of what the women's revolution was about was there's these incredible workers, incredible personalities that are going out there and busting their asses and having great matches, and they should be celebrated and spotlighted for that. And WWE is kind of steered away from that now that, it's it's ventured away from NXT and all these women are up on the main roster and they want to put their own spin on it. Yeah, it's um it's for everything the WWE main roster has done better in the last few years. It definitely feels like still those great matches being the focal point is an anomaly. When, when it feels like we have that Seth Rollins gauntlet run, when we have that I mean, Seth Rollins title defense that was great, whatever, right? They always feel like kind of the exception, not the rule, as opposed to an NXT where it feels like Everybody's going to go out there and have really good matches. I don't I don't know why that is. It's just a difference in booking style. And WWE main roster feels confident in being the entertainment brand. And it's always going to be that way, I think, until Vince McMahon is not there anymore. Maybe even after that, right? You talk about the rise of the indies. If you got New Japan coming over here and Ring of Honor coming over here with these great, solid in-ring products, WWE still might want to differentiate itself and think the money is in this kind of entertainment sport hybrid. And and with that, you're going to have personalities take center stage. If somebody can go out there and be loud and 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 kind of connect in a way that somebody like, no offense, Bailey or Sasha Banks can't do as much, well, they're going to double down on somebody like Carmella because she is just a huge presence. One of the other matches at Money in the Bank, and actually the opener, was Daniel Bryan tapping out Big Cass for the second straight time. And I think some people were surprised by that. Yeah. I was very happy to see that just because of being a Daniel Bryan fan. But I don't think what we saw was that a couple of days later, Big Cass would get released. I don't know if this was in the works before the match. I don't think he was told from everything I've seen is that Vince McMahon pulled him aside or had a meeting with him on Tuesday before SmackDown and gave him his release. I don't know if that was something that Vince knew was going to happen before money in the bank, but either way it did happen. And um, I think we we're all a little bit surprised just kind of out of the blue, the way that that happened. And the release statement that WWE put on its website was a little bit different in that they put, you know, WWE and, you know, big casts have come to the terms of their release and they did not wish him the best in his future endeavors, <laughs> which has become like this comedy line. But at the same sure. time, like, it's like, oh, okay, you know, we get along with this person. We'll wish him their best. They did not wish him the best in their future endeavors. And that stood out to me from a standpoint that, we got to fire this guy. Something's going on. Um, the belief is that he's still immature, um, you know, rubbing some people the wrong way behind the scenes. There was some stuff going on. There was the, uh, you know, the angle that they did last month on TV where they had a little person dressed up like Daniel Bryan. And there's been multiple reports that have said that, um, you know, he wanted to get more physical with that person and, you know, pitched it. And they said, no, Went to Vince McMahon, pitched it. Vince said no, but he did it anyway. And that's 
you know, this has been the fallout from that is that not only losing to Daniel Bryan twice, but losing via tap out. So I don't know what the plan was going into those matches, but it sure seemed like things probably changed or they went the direction they did because of, of, you know, his actions. And I'm sure it wasn't just one thing. It was a variety of things, but now big Cass is gone. The crazy thing is if you go back just a couple of years ago, big Cass and Enzo Amore as a tag team, getting called up from NXT to the main roster. They were arguably the hottest act in wrestling, definitely in WWE, the hottest act. And then fast forward to where we are now. And Enzo was gone from the company. Big Cass is gone from the company and Carmella, who did not debut with them, despite her being their manager when they were in NXT, later get called up and she is the SmackDown women's champion. It's never a good sign. Uh, if you're big cast and your music sounds like a Jim Johnston reject song, all right? It sounds like worse than 90s generic music 101. Big Cass's entrance music was terrible, right? It's no wonder he got fired. No, it's not. It's <laughs> not. And the thing is, like, I hope, you know, you hope he gets his head on straight, you know, sure. from, from this. But I'm not exactly sure where he goes next. I'm sure there's going to be promoters that are interested in booking him. Will he team again with Enzo? Maybe the thing, there's two things with that. Number one, there's some personalities you're going to have to put up with there. Yeah. And I don't know if it's something like we've learned from our mistakes and we'll be a little bit more humble. There's one person in particular out of those two that I think does not have that gene in him. And it's not the guy that says he's seven foot tall and you can't teach that. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing is those guys don't get along. They have had a yeah. serious falling out to where Enzo has called him out a couple of times, including he did an interview recently where he had said he was pissed off at big Cass for not finishing the match that they had where Cass tore his ACL. And he was like, you got to suck it up. And if that means you got to go another 30 or 40 minutes, you know, with a torn ACL, you do that because, you know, triple H did it with a torn quad or, or whatever. Now, mind you, there are rare occurrences where guys have been able to go you know, through injuries. I mean, what, what Triple H did in that match, that is superhuman levels that you cannot expect out of everybody. Luckily, it was right. at the end of the match when it happened, but still what he was able to do is incredible. But um, injuries happen. I'm not saying that guys are going to be phoning it in or merely quitting or whatever, but the dude tore his ACL and to be mad at him for whatever happened the rest of the way of that match, I think is <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. I don't know if... That's what promoters are going to be looking at is to team them up. Can they put, you know, their issues aside, you know, to do business? We'll see. I don't know how much work they're going to get. And if I'm big cast, I probably say, you know what? I want to be on my own. I want to do things by myself and I want to make my way. Maybe impact wrestling will be interested in him, you know, come 90 days from now. I don't know if there's a place for him in Japan right now. I kind of doubt it, but, um, yeah, I, I don't, I'm not exactly sure where either of them fit right now on outside of WWE. Well, I, I think that, you know, Impact Wrestling is probably the obvious pick for most of these guys, even Enzo, right? Impact could, could leverage that to a certain extent. But what you do if you're Impact Wrestling is you sign both of these guys. Let's, let's clear it up, right? Impact or Enzo Amore is not under the same level of doubt that he was a few months ago after the charges were dropped and all that. So he, he is not... It's not taboo to work with him anymore. It's I would not. Say. You just have to put up with him, and he's with a, his personality. Right. He is but a royal pain in the ass. You you bring out what you do right is is you do something in Impact Wrestling. You have an angle where tag team champions come out, 
And then they're like, open up an open challenge. Who do we want to do? And all of a sudden, the music kits, right? Whatever generic riff on uh, the WWE music Enzo mm-hmm. and Big Cass have. They come out. They come down to the ring. And then all of a sudden, Big Cass turns on Enzo. Or vice versa. But I think it's got to be Big Cass turning on Enzo. And then you have a feud between these two in Impact Wrestling. Mm. And that way, they don't have to. They have to work together. But they don't have to be tag team partners. And that could be a fun little feud uh, for a show like that. And these guys, they kind of milk some of that name recognition out of it. And, and we go from there. So Michael Wiseman is somebody that believes there is money and interest in seeing Big Cass and Enzo Amore feud in Impact Wrestling. I think for them, there's money. I don't care. I'm just I'm saying concerned. it out loud. <laughs> wow. Way to put me on block. I thought that there's tire treads of that bus backing up right over me. That's okay. That's cool. We're good. The other match that we cannot get away from is, without a doubt, the Seth Rollins Elias match okay. from Sunday night. That match was fantastic. They did have a good match. And yeah. I, I think that meant a lot for Elias. I, I really thought because the way the finish was where Seth was holding the tights, that that was going to lead to a rematch at Extreme Rules and Elias would find a way to take the championship off him on that show. And then they would move Seth into the world title picture. Now, mind you, Seth might move into the world title picture. I don't know, but I did not see what ha- uh, see coming what happened on Monday night where he faced Dolph Ziggler and lost. And yeah. that's another one of those cases where, you know, people can say, well, he was distracted because Drew McIntyre got up on the apron. No, he lost clean. Drew didn't touch him. I, I think that match Sunday night was, I wasn't surprised Elias lost. I was surprised, number one, Elias looked as good as he did in that match because he is still, you know, relatively young in his wrestling career. But number two, I said it was a star-making performance for Elias. Like, that's one of those cases where both men come in, have a great match, one man walks out the victor, but both men walk out looking better. We know we know Seth Rollins is going to deliver stellar matches, but we haven't had a chance to see Elias do something this big. He had that victory over John Cena about a year ago, or even less than. And, and, and so to see these guys kind of put it all together, put it out there and have this lengthy match, the way the victory happened, where Elias was on top, and then Seth Rollins, and then Elias, all that kind of back and forth near the stretch made Elias look like he worked, and then the kind of the focus on him after the match, and Seth Rollins barely escaping with the championship. It looked like Elias took Seth Rollins to his edge, but the champion just had that slightly more uh, that slightly more experience to him to be able to kind of pull out the victory in the clutch. So I thought it made Elias look great, even in losing, right? There are times where guys can lose and still look great. This is one of those cases. Uh, Seth Rollins lost nothing from that match. I, I was very surprised on what happened on Monday night. Um, you, you could make the argument that Seth Rollins, storyline-wise, was still worn out from that that grueling endeavor with Elias on Sunday night at Money in the Bank, and that's why he lost to Dolph Ziggler. But I think the stranger thing to me is this Dolph Ziggler-Drew McIntyre pairing has felt kind of aimless, and to then put a championship on Dolph Ziggler. I love Dolph Ziggler. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it, but to put a championship on Dolph Ziggler, it feels a little bit like a little bit of hot shotting here. Right, because it feels like... um. Drew is the guy being the pairing that is going to be the star. Right. He he's the home run hitter. He's the guy that's sitting out there and he's ready to do damage. So they do this match. Dolph beats Seth. Everybody is surprised. Afterwards, Ziggler and McIntyre do this promo. And they said, "Hey, we told you we're taking over this place." So how far are they really going to go with that? Because if you really want to make an impact with that kind of a statement and this kind of a storyline with these two guys, to me. 
Drew would have to be in the mix for the world championship, for the universal championship. And I don't right. know if that's going to happen right now. Now, they're doing the rematch this coming Monday night on Raw between Ziggler and Rollins. I could easily see something where they do one of two things. Uh, Seth wins the title back, and then the next matchup is him and Drew, or Drew does get physically involved and helps Dolph retain the championship. And then Dolph will go what other direction, and Drew and Seth would still feud. Because I think that's where they're going to be going. It feels like to me, because otherwise, if, if they don't do... Seth and Drew, I don't know what they're going to do with Drew. I, they're biding their time on getting him in the ring. They're picking their spots, which I understand. So does that mean they're going to do something big with him? And if that's the case, then he either needs the IC title or he needs to be in the mix for the world championship, which that thing on Raw right now is such a cluster. I, I honestly don't think WWE even knows what they're doing right now because they're, they're going to be doing this multi-person match at extreme rules and the winner will get a shot at Brock Lesnar in the universal championship at SummerSlam. Okay. We don't know how many people are in this multi-person match. We don't know who's in this match. They've kind of teased who's going to be in it, but we're not exactly sure. I mean, I think when it, you know, Roman Reigns is going to be in it. Uh, Bobby Lashley is going to be in it. Finn Balor might be in it. Uh, Braun Strowman is probably going to be in it. Um, he easily could be, uh, maybe Drew McIntyre is going to be in it. Maybe Baron Corbin is going to be in it. So you've got all these things kind of floating right now that I, it's one thing to have intrigue going into whatever direction that they're heading. This kind of feels like a mess, kind of like WWE isn't exactly sure what they want to do yet. It's like, all right, we'll, uh, we'll figure it out. Um, yeah, next Monday afternoon before raw, we sit down, we have a meeting, we'll figure it out then. And it's kind of like as we're going, they're booking on the fly when it comes to this and figuring it out. But it feels like they want to do something bigger with Baron Corbin. It feels like they want to do something bigger with Drew McIntyre. It's just figuring out when that time is. But when it comes to SummerSlam, it still feels, at least to me, that when it's all said and done, it's going to be Roman Reigns against Brock Lesnar for the Universal Championship on that show. Yeah, and, and it does feel like, to your point, they want to leave all of their options open. So if they decide to change their minds, they're kind of reserved that right. But if we are barreling down towards yet another Roman Reigns Brock Lesnar match, it's got to, I mean, it's, it, I mean, Roman Reigns is probably going to win. And it's going to mean, it's just, yeah. I'm, well, here, here's the other thing, too, okay? Oof. So if, if you're going to do that match, and I get why they want to do that, you got to have Roman win. But to me, you have to have. Strowman cash in after the match and win. You have to. And I know you can make the argument for, we want Braun Strowman to be a huge baby face star. So for him to cash in, it would maybe would be better if it's one of these things where he actually announces the match in advance. Um, You know, he doesn't do like a super secret surprise cash in like a heel typically does. Like we just saw with Alexa bliss. Right. Now, maybe he would do something where he said, okay, Roman, you've got the match with Brock. Well, I'm cashing in and I'm going to make it a a triple threat. They could easily do that. Absolutely. Um, But I think that the way to do it would be have Roman and Brock have a match, have people react however they want to react. And then even if people can see it a mile away, have Strowman cash in afterwards, because that's going to make him as big of a baby face as you could ever imagine. If they want yeah. to be somebody that's cheered, cashing in on champion Roman Reigns the second that Roman won the title, that will 
you know, that will put him on, on you know, as the top baby face on Raw, maybe of all time, the way that some people hate Roman Reigns. It's It will be like this super gratifying moment for people like, oh, my God, it's Stone Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Braun Strowman for what he did to Roman Reigns right there, well, you know? I mean, I mean, I mean, it would put Braun Strowman ahead of all those guys, right? He would be bigger than Hulk Hogan. That's what I was going to say. I almost missed out on Hulk Hogan. So Hulkamania and Strowman mania, like right there, uh-huh. you know? Uh-huh. I, I wonder if we're just here in this situation now with Roman Reigns where he will always be always the bridesmaid, never a bride, right? Where he's always going to be like on the cusp of being a champion and he just never is. He, maybe he wins it to your point at SummerSlam for 30 minutes and loses it or five minutes and loses it. I would love for that to be just Roman Reigns shtick for the rest of his career. He, he just oh comes God. so close all the time and he is ne- like we never get a lengthy Roman Reigns title run from now until forever, but he wins it at like these really weird moments and then immediately loses That's it. That's crazy. I mean, and, and the thing is too, like I wanted to see Seth Rollins in the mix for that. Like I thought they were going to deviate from Reigns against Lesnar. The the match they could do obviously would be Seth because it makes yeah. a lot of sense with Seth right now. And then you could do something with him and Roman. You've got Strowman out there with the briefcase at any moment he could cash in, which I'm fine with Braun having that case kind of wish they went in a different direction. I feel like Braun Strowman is above having the briefcase Sure. You know, and I and I just like seeing it on heels a little bit more. I think it adds a little bit more intrigue, but that's fine. I mean, Braun Strowman is a guy that they're building up and they have big plans for. So, um, I mean, I, like I said, I'd like to see Seth in that mix. I think there could have been a way to do it, and maybe there still is if they want to go this path, where you could do Drew McIntyre against Brock Lesnar on that show. Just kind of the intrigue of of where McIntyre is right now in his career and talks big walks big looks big has an aura go into you know SummerSlam against brock lesnar it's something different um i don't think that's where they're going to go but i could see that but yeah i'm not exactly sure where they're at with drew right now and that kind of weird pairing with with dolphin like i said before it just kind of feels like it's all let's take it week by week and see where this goes i don't know what's being planned out well in advance yeah yeah they just want to make up their minds later, I think. Part of it could be they don't exactly know what Brock Lesnar is going to agree to. We don't know about contract situations. Mm-hmm. I am very disappointed, though, that we are not getting a Brock Lesnar Universal Champion appearance between the months of April and August. That's crazy, isn't it? That is just like, that's insane to me. It's just swept yeah, under the rug. Yep. Yep. It's, yeah, mm. it's 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 very strange. It feels like the title is being held hostage right now. Yes, and it, and you know what? It's only WWE's fault because they put themselves in this position by having Lesnar still be the champion and the guy's got a, you know, contract that benefits himself, you know, so you can't blame them for that. And, you know, everybody keeps talking about, well, well Brock is going to go back to the UFC and Brock's going to fight John Jones, you know, and that that's, that's the money fight. Maybe, maybe be against somebody else, which by the way, John Jones I don't even know if he's going to be suspended yet or not. I mean, we haven't gotten that ruling yet. So, I mean, he could be, you know, back fighting by the end of the year due to some technicality, or he could be suspended for three or four years. I don't know. I mean, but if I'm Brock Lesnar, maybe I want to go back and fight, but I'm going to go wherever the money is. It's what he's always done. And considering his position right now in WWE and these new television contracts that are going to be coming to fruition beginning next year, and they're going to be rolling in money. Maybe it's, hey, you know what? I'm open to going to UFC, but I'm going to stay in WWE. They're going to give me even more money than I wanted before. So I, I don't know what the future of Brock Lesnar is when it comes to WWE. How he could go back and have one fight, two fights, and then come back to WWE a year, 
year and a half later, I, I at least expect that. I mean, I don't think that if he loses at SummerSlam, that he's never going to be back in a WWE ring ever again. Right. Well, and, and the point is, Bro- Brock Lesnar is fine. Like, as an attraction fighter, much like Undertaker, much like whoever else, having him around on your roster is great. Making him the champion for this long and having this many gaps in his appearances is where it's really hurting both that championship, but the raw brand and the raw roster. I think, I think without that championship to fight for, it's just, there's this void spot near the top of the roster where the main event picture just feels like just an upper mid card. Yeah, it does right now. And you know, on SmackDown, they had a better show this week. I thought I really liked that gauntlet match that they did big E against Daniel Bryan to start things off. Man, that was a hell of a way to start off that match. Yeah. Um, that, that was really good. But now Rusev gets the victory. And Rusev will be facing AJ Styles for the WWE Championship at Extreme Rules. I don't know who AJ is going to be facing at SummerSlam. This kind of feels like we've got one show to go between now and then. So we can find somebody else to put in the mix to face AJ. That's not Shinsuke Nakamura. However, I think think Rusev and Styles are going to have a really good match. I, I fully expect AJ to win, but... It doesn't feel like it's just a throwaway thing when it comes to Rusev, just because I think Rusev's a good worker. I think he's a great personality. It's an an awesome opportunity for him. This is the first time he's ever gotten a world championship match. And then they're playing that up. I I am. I am just really excited that we're actually doing something with Rusev here, right? Rusev Day has become such a big deal. Um, I'm worried about him and Aiden English, though, because (laughs) I'm a little bit worried. Aiden English decided to taunt AJ Styles when AJ and Rusev had their little stare down at the end of SmackDown and AJ quickly put down Aiden English and Rusev scolded him for those actions. So I'm I'm a little bit worried about that pairing. I I am too a little bit, but you know, the thing here is that Rusev, not only has he gotten over with the audience in a huge way with this Rusev day thing, Rusev has looked really good lately like as far as both in ring right he's mm-hmm. brought his talents but he he has a good physical look he right trimmed now. down but a little bit he did he, he trimmed down he got leaner but he also got a little bit more um he he got a little bit more muscle on him right he's more toned he's more um he doesn't have I that think, big think, cast tan yet but nobody does <laughs> so it, it'll be interesting here i'm glad that it feels like maybe we're doing something with Rusev again instead of just kind of having him out there on the side um, I don't think he's going to win either. Wouldn't it be fun though if he did? Wouldn't it be mm. fun if this was a Jinder Mahal moment, but actually it's behind somebody that the fans actually really liked? Yeah, that would be something. I mean, to make a guy, I don't, I don't know if people want to be reminded of a Jinder Mahal moment necessarily. Um, and to see where that is gone. God bless you, Jinder, but this has not worked out well um, for a variety of reasons. <laughs> you, know, I, you know, I mentioned Big Cass. I was afraid my TV was going to freak out during Money in the Bank. Because you had Big Cass with his deep, leathery look. Oh, you know, his tan against Daniel Bryan, the whitest of white people, along with Seamus. <laughs> and I really was worried that the color on my TV was going to freak out. It didn't know how to balance It could not itself. figure out that contrast. Could it? it was like, do I need to go the brighter, di- darker? <laughs> the dichotomy of those two guys and seeing what's going on here was incredible. It wasn't just the size difference. It was the color difference between these two guys. I was like, what the hell is going right. on out there? If Drake Wirtz had been the referee, and had the tan that he did a couple of takeovers ago. Oh my God. I'm, I might've freaked out. My, my mind might've melted. I don't know. Oh, um, funny. We buried the lead on one thing though, Michael. Uh-oh. And I know you've Uh-oh. been waiting for this. You yes. wanted to talk about it now, 90 minutes into the podcast. I'm going to bring it up. We are finally going to get Daniel Bryan against the Miz. 
Telling you what, man, this is the this is the money feud. I, I am actually a little bit surprised we're leaning into this already. Do it. Lean in. We, we you know, it, it felt like at one point this was going to be the thing that Daniel Bryan did immediately after coming back. He was going to finally take up those issues from a couple of years ago and settle the score with The Miz. And they didn't go there. And so it seemed like, well, they're going to save it for SummerSlam. I, I don't know why we got to the middle of summer. And it's like, okay, we're going to do it for Extreme Rules unless you're planning something big as a follow-up match for SummerSlam. But uh, I'm excited. This is the feud that people have wanted to see for years. It's If you go back in time, this is the story that brought Daniel Bryan up from NXT into the main roster. Remember, he beat The Miz, I think it was, to win the United States Championship back in the day. So this has a rich story to it. And these guys are that great pairing I was talking about earlier. You have a great talker versus a great, great, great worker. Not that Daniel Bryan can't talk either, but he is a worker by trade. The Miz is a talker by trade. Uh, they they are going to have some great barbs. They're going to have some great segments. I hope this, I hope this is part one at Extreme Rules, part two at SummerSlam, and I hope this feud carries on throughout the summer. I would love to see uh, the championship enter the picture at some point. I think these two men, if that came over as part of this feud, would be great, especially if it's like part two or part three. We'll see where that goes. Uh, I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm excited. I am too. I can't wait to see what they do there. Um, if they want to extend that feud all the way out to WrestleMania, I probably will not complain about that. Right. If they do it right, because there is an emotional attachment to this, that they can do that. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I don't know if they will. Probably not, but they they could do that. Like you can, you know, mix in some other elements, like you said, whether the championship gets involved or whatever, but they could really. I mean, you could do a Team Miz versus Team Daniel Bryan at SummerSlam. Absolutely. There's there are ways to extend this out. It would be great. There, there's a ton of things that you can do. And by the way, the way that they even started this, okay, during uh, you know SmackDown the other night, I love that they had Daniel Bryan do this promo talking about you know myself and three other guys in this gauntlet match. And Renee Young goes, "Well, there's four other guys." And Daniel Bryan goes, well, the other one's The Miz, and he doesn't count. You know, <laughs> right. he threw in this little barb. And then it was The Miz that actually pinned Daniel Bryan the match. You know, Daniel just had this incredible opening match with, uh, you know, Big E. And then The Miz takes advantage at this moment. Yeah. And, um, you know, immediately hits his finisher and pins him. And then shoves him out of the ring as well. Like, get out of my ring kind of thing. I was just like, here we go. And that, and the, I'm, I'm glad they're doing. It. I mean, Extreme Rules feels like a weird launching point for this when it comes to um, will probably be their first big match unless they give it away on SmackDown next week, which they could easily do. Um, but when you talk about bigger shows, yeah, Extreme Rules probably feels a little bit weird because there's probably going to be some kind of um, you know stipulation match going on there, some kind of a gimmick. But I want to see this feud. I want to see where they go. They they've got to do something big at SummerSlam and how they could easily go on all the way to WrestleMania with so many different things that they can do here. This is, it can go in so many different directions between the things that Daniel Bryan can come up with, the things that the Miz can come up with and wherever creative wants to go with this as well. Well, this feud in some ways reminds me a lot of the Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels feud from back in like the late two thousands, not because it's the exact same kind of feud, right? We're not talking about the same level of personal, wife involvement and all that kind of stuff but because there is a personal nature to the feud that feels very real and very raw and and i say this also that feud took place if you remember it was in the late summer months it was like september october november they kind of tied in some championship scramble matches in the middle to kind of extend this out a little bit i think maybe that feud i, I don't remember exactly where it kicked off but i, I think it was somewhere 
after SummerSlam that year. That sounds right. But but they had this kind of this off season. I call it an off season, but this kind of this off season feud that has gone down as one of the greatest feuds of all time. Chris Jericho, Shawn Michaels, and, and a fantastic ladder match along the way. You could do something very similar here, where you kind of up the ante every week, every month, and maybe they do break off for a short time before coming back. I think at some point we will, or we should, get a culminating battle over these two men. Uh, I don't know when that will be, but it will be entertaining along the way. Right. And um, like I said, they can do a lot of different things there. A lot of different things. I think Chris Jericho and Shawn Michaels, I'm looking it up right now. I think it started It started over the summer. It was probably right around this time of the year. It was mm-hmm. right around this time of the year. But they had a, it was like a seven-month feud, Yeah, I want to say. They had the big turn. Um, with Jericho throwing Sean, I think through the Jeritron 5000, you had, um, the eye injury, you had the accidental punching of Sean's wife, which she actually was punched and split her lip, which was unbelievable. When you look back at that going, Oh my God, just the reaction from everybody involved was just like, Oh my God, he actually hit her. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and it just the way it was broken up too, right? It was never just like you know. Nowadays, it's like AJ AJ Styles Shinsuke Nakamura is a good example of this. Nowadays, they go into a feud, and that's all these two men do. They have some matches in between, but all they do for two or three months is feud with each other. Yeah, this feud between these two men back in the day took place, and there were other things that happened in betwixt this feud, and we didn't know where it was going. And I, I hope they do kind of that same model here with the Miz and Daniel Bryan. Let's run through some other things here really quickly because I know we're running out of time and there's a ton of other stuff that we could actually talk about. Some of this we could talk about more next week. Um, Sure. So it was finally revealed. Uh, This had actually been put out there a couple of weeks ago, but it was um, under lock and key until Monday. But AJ Styles is going to be on the cover or is on the cover of WWE 2K19. Uh, So that game is coming out. I believe it's October 9th. Yeah, October 9th. The uh, Deluxe and Collector's Editions come out October 5th. They're doing a million-dollar challenge with this where they're doing a big tournament, and the winner of the tournament will face AJ Styles, and if you can beat AJ in the game, you will win a million dollars. Wow. There you go. There's your aspirations right there, Brian. New, new career goal. Maybe I should become a gamer, man. I can go after AJ. It's so cool he's a cover athlete here. I mean, can I just say he's, for a minute? He's the right choice. Like, can you imagine any point in history where we would have talked about before the last couple of years, AJ Styles is going to be the cover uh, of the WWE game. And he's the WWE champion right now. Right, right. So I just love everything that AJ Styles has been able to do um, as part of this. I I think it's exciting. They picked him and that's going to get them a lot of goodwill. We've had a lot of people over the years. I mean, I think CM Punk is the other guy kind of like AJ Styles who has occupied this cover for many years. It was a prototypical John Cena's and Randy Orton's of the world. So um, seeing AJ Styles get this cover nod is fantastic. You know, it could have gone to Roman Reigns. That would not have surprised mm-hmm. me here. Seth Rollins last year was a good pick. So I'm glad they're going with these kind of choices. So does that make, uh, I'm going to look this up here. Um, does that make AJ Styles the um, first ever athlete to grace the covers of both a WWE video game and a, an Impact Wrestling video game? Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we still have it. I know it does not. So let me let me see if this is correct here. Um, that Impact Wrestling game had... What is the actual cover here? Because some of the covers I'm seeing actually has Kurt Angle. That might Ooh. have been for what, but what, other territories. Mm, interesting. 
What what was the name? Yeah, I, th- I, mean, I think maybe Kurt Angle was the cover athlete there. I think it was Kurt Angle, Sting, and yeah, you're right, Samoa you're right. Jeff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that makes Kurt Angle the first ever since he graced the cover of the game last year. But he was like a special cover, right? Yes. Yeah. So he mm. wasn't the real cover. Yeah. Mm. Interesting. Congrats to AJ Styles. He, he's a gamer too. That he's, makes you feel good about it. Yeah, he's a gamer. He he really really appreciated you know being on the cover, you know, and um. For a variety of reasons, because the, the notoriety that comes with it, but also being a gamer, they're they're typically going to give it to a babyface or just some overwhelming figure that people like. Like, I think it's going to be tough to put Roman Reigns on the cover of that, just because there's a lot of people that don't like Roman Reigns, and sure. believe it or not, that's going to shy them away from getting the game. I'm, I'm not saying that that's right. I'm just saying that that is a factor when it comes to this. Whether you know whether it's just or not when it comes to people's reactions to uh, Roman Reigns. Uh, WWE announced that in the vein of the greatest Royal Rumble show that they did in Saudi Arabia, they're going to be doing another mega, mega show. Uh, we had, there have been rumblings about this for a while, but they officially announced it. They are doing the Super Showdown event on October 6th in Melbourne, Australia. It's at the Melbourne Cricket Ground uh, Stadium, which seats around 100,000 people. Um, WWE is once again saying it's the largest roster of WWE superstars and legends to ever appear in the country. They are doing a match between The Undertaker and Triple H, which they are promoting as the final match ever between these two. Uh, Everybody on the roster is going to be there, including Ronda Rousey, Shane McMahon, and um, Daniel Bryan, who, by the way, his contract expires September 1st, and I don't believe he signed a new contract, so they must feel pretty good about that. Or they're not shy about throwing his name out there. They've also advertised Shawn Michaels. Now, mind you, they haven't said he's having a match, and I don't expect him to have a match, and I don't want to see him have a match on this show because if they're if Shawn's going to come back to do a match, whether it's a comedy match or whatever it is, I don't think this is the right place for it. But I think Shawn's obviously going to appear on the show. I just don't think he's right. going to be getting in the ring. Yeah, yeah. That's that's. I mean, they put his name on there in the same line as the wrestlers, but probably not going to wrestle. I think it's cool. They're doing another big super show overseas. It seems like the model they're wanting to kind of follow now is very much that greatest Royal rumble model where, and then they've done this a couple of years ago, whenever they did the show in Japan. So it's not brand new, but this let's bring out really big shows, really big events that have that WrestleMania esque feel without being a true WrestleMania. So what, right? what, you know, what they've done is they found a way to make all these fans and, and, you know, fans around the world want WrestleMania. They want big shows. And they found right. a way to do big shows there without doing WrestleMania, but cashing in because they're going to do this massive, massive stadium show and they're going to air it live on the WWE Network. Now, so Michael, October 6th comes. Uh-huh. Are you going to get up at 4 a.m. Eastern to watch the show as it goes on? Listen, New Japan Pro Wrestling Dominion started airing at 2 a.m., 3 a.m., one of the best cards of the year. One of the best cards of the last few years, right? I did not get up at 4 a.m. to watch that card. <laughs> I can guarantee you I'm not going to get up at 4 a.m. to watch. This will be a good card, but to watch basically the greatest Roy Rumble V2. Is there going to be a kickoff show at 3 a.m. we can get up even earlier for? Oh and then they'll run over by an extra 30, 40 minutes. So it's actually going to be a six-hour show. Well, this is probably going to be, what, another five-hour show, like greatest yeah, Royal yeah. Rumble. That's what I assume. Yeah. Now, mind you, I wonder if they're going to do some kind of big gimmick. Like are they, like we saw the Greatest Royal Rumble, you know, match mm-hmm. in on the Greatest mm-hmm. Royal Rumble show. So I wonder if they're going to do something similar or if it's just going to be a loaded card. Now, mind you, they can just do a loaded card because 
Women are actually going to be a part of this show. Well, you, you could do the greatest, greatest Royal Rumble or the greatest ever Royal Rumble. They could Rumble. do the greatest women's Royal Rumble. The greatest women's Royal Rumble. Yes. But I, I, don't, I don't think they're going to do that thing. I think what they're going to probably do is do like 15 matches. I think all you're going to do, you just got to start taking all of these kind of concepts and just making them the greatest, right? So Saudi Arabia gets the greatest Royal Rumble. Well, maybe uh, they get, and this show, they get the greatest Survivor Series of all time mm. or the greatest, you know, um, King of the Ring of all, the greatest money in the bank of all time, right? The greatest uh, uh, Taboo Tuesday of all time. I'm surprised like, that it, they're, it, they, instead of calling it the Super Showdown, they didn't call it the greatest show from down under or something like I, that. I am, I am really disappointed with their choices of names as of late. It, it feels like we are back in the 90s mm-hmm. where it's like everything was supersized and the greatest ever. And all these names are just terrible. The greatest Royal Rumble was a terrible name. Unbelievable. The super showdown. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> also, wow. guess what? If you um, wanted more WWE, not just with a big show like this, you're getting it. Another brand to follow. So WWE announced they're finally going to be doing the uk show that they've been teasing they're going to call it the nxt uk so that's a new brand nxt uk there's a name for you yep (laughs) which i'm i'm kind of surprised by that that's what they're doing but you know they're uh, it's going to be uh talent from the united kingdom and ireland they've already announced they're doing television tapings so they're doing it um they're doing uh four sets of two-day tapings coming up throughout various locations in the uk New championships because um they've got the UK uh, men's championship which will be a part of the this brand and this show um and those tapings they're announcing a UK women's championship and a UK tag team championship. One thing they have not announced when the show is going to air and where it's going to air. Uh, and they're doing tapings. I mean, they're doing tapings for the that that area anyway. But it's it's weird. Number one, I think it's weird the way they're branding these. I get it. I guess NXT is kind of becoming their indie brand. And so if they want to have all these little pop-up shops, everything is... WWE is worldwide. NXT is regionalized, is what it seems like. Um, But also, yeah, we need more information. You've been talking about this overseas UK brand for a couple of years now, really. And I I think it's, uh, it's time to give us a little bit more than just these teases. Last week, we talked about Ring of Honor has plans to book... Madison Square Garden. They were talking about, we're going to run a show at Madison Square Garden next year, right? And, and the belief was they were going to run it opposite WrestleMania week, uh, you know, which is also going to be in New York City. So while WWE probably does NXT TakeOver, they were going to run a big show at Madison Square Garden, right? Well, that show's not going to happen now. So Joe Koff, who is the COO, Chief Operating Officer of Ring of Honor, did an interview with Mike Johnson of PWInsider.com this week. And Mike brought up that show and Joe Coff said, Hey, I don't want to talk about this too much. I don't want to litigate it in public, but he had said they had to deal with the garden. And then ring of honor was told that the garden was backing out after communications with WWE. So WWE reached out to them and somehow got the show shut down is the way it sounds. And Joe Coff said, we are not able to get any of the dates in any kind of discussion. I'm expecting our lawyers to be contacting all parties involved. And the best we can hope for, or the best we can hope for is uh, that we can find a, a resolution so we can bring the kind of energy and excitement that ROH and our partner, New Japan, to a bigger audience and to bigger arenas and to the fans of New York City. So um, 
There's also a belief too that while a deal had been agreed to, um, and it was the it was Sinclair's CEO that made the announcement that they're going to be doing a show at the Garden. He jumped the gun by announcing this because I don't think the paperwork had been signed yet. Even if it had been, probably best to not say anything about it right now until we get right. closer. But now there's going to be this big old mess about you know they're not running the Garden. And remember, the Garden was has been open to other wrestling promotions running there because. WWE is not using that venue as much and they weren't planning on using it for anything when it came to WrestleMania week. They're using the Barclays over in Brooklyn a lot more. Um, so I don't know how nasty this may or may not get, but you know, Ring of Honor is not going to be doing a show at Madison Square Garden anytime soon. And WWE just is putting a stranglehold on that and they've still got a lot of stroke in the area. It's petty. It's very petty on WWE's part, I feel like. I mean, I get it though, right? You're in business. You're, it's a competition. It's a, they say business is a war. And you got to be prepared to take some take some hard punches and give some hard punches to protect your assets, your money. And WWE is definitely doing that. I don't think it's necessary, right? I think there's plenty of room in this world for both Ring of Honor and WWE to succeed. And I think that Triple H's standpoint on it, which is as the the right organizations grow and get better, it helps us get talent and all that stuff as well. But I, I it's probably hit very close to home. You know, Madison Square Garden is is very near and dear to WWE's heart, especially Vince McMahon's heart. So. Not surprising. I mean, I, I'm a little bit surprised, but when you think about it, in retrospect, not entirely surprising that this happened this way. Right. It's still petty. I think Ring of Honor probably should have waited till they had at least something in paperwork, so it wouldn't have been quite as easy for Madison Square Garden to back out. Uh, yeah. I'm not entirely, entirely sure what Madison Square Garden gets out of the deal, other than the fact that WWE promises to come back and do some more shows there. Oh, I, I bet they got a big promise from them. We don't know what that yeah. is yet, but I guarantee they got a big promise. Maybe a pay-per-view, maybe a maybe, taping of maybe, Raw or SmackDown. Oh, more than... a. Raw or SmackDown. I'll bet they got promised within the next couple of years a big show. Hmm. I'm, I'm Cyber just, Tuesday. <laughs> Cyber Tuesday. Um, the greatest Royal Rumble down under. Right. <laughs> Super show. <laughs> that would be great. Um, that would be so great. I, I don't know what they got promised. I've got a feeling it, it, it's something pretty big. Can we just get WWE to bring back the like the WWF the WWF in your house brand? Like that's what I want. Ooh. Like I want to bring back the it's like the really and even some of the more terrible pay per view names like from back in the day, right? Mm, yeah, we Rock can. Bottom. Remember when they used oh to just name them after superstars? Rock Degeneration X. Man, we got to come Real up with some of those names. names. You know, you know what the funny thing is? You mentioned King of the Ring. That would the be- Grumble in the Garden. That's perfect for this, right? The Grumble in the Garden. Mm. There you go. There you go. They, they could easily bring back the King of the Ring. And do right. something like that for a big show. I don't know if they will or not. I I like that idea. I mean, I like a tournament. I don't think Vince McMahon likes tournaments. Well, but the, you already also already have that. You know, I, I kind of thought about this with the UK tournament V2 being announced. And you kind of have that already with some of the ancillary brands here. The UK has been doing it. I think, you know, NXT does the tag team tournament every year, the Dusty Classic. And uh, aren't they doing another women's tournament? Yep, at some they're point? doing the May Young I mean, Classic again. Yeah, so like you kind of have all these other ancillary tournaments. So I actually really like this model where they do these tournaments that bring in outside talents, indie talents. I think that's really cool. I would love, I mean, King of the Ring always felt like the thing, though. Like, if you win King of the Ring, you're set up. I wish they would do something like unless that. Unless you're Billy but, Gunn. Um, right. Unless you're the one, Billy Gunn. They've kind of used money in the bank to replace that, I guess. Yeah, they have. So we saw the showdown this week over at E3, or actually last week, between the New Day and the Golden Elite. So the Bucks and Kenny Omega. So the video is out there. You can watch it. They did an episode. The Bucks did an episode of being the elite. 
and things got edited a little bit on there. But basically, when they did the team competition, the New Day won, but then they did another competition between the gamers on both sides, which is Kenny Omega and Xavier Woods, Austin Creed, and uh, playing Street Fighter V. The winner would get bragging rights, and the loser had to eat a hot pepper. And Kenny Omega actually won. This guy's on some kind of a streak right now. IWGP heavyweight champion. <laughs> he beat his rival in Street Fighter V. I mean, there's no stopping Kenny Omega. Which one else is bigger to him, do you think? I mean, the Street Ooh. Fighter Five, right? It's got to be the Street Fighter Five. You can make an argument there. Now, you know, he's doing a conference call later today with Access TV. Maybe, maybe that question needs to be thrown out there. So, it's. I think it's so cool that they've been doing this kind of under the radar feud with <clears throat> both the the New Day and, and Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. And this kind of leads me into my question that I was going to say for the end of the show, but I'm just going to throw it out there right now. Yes. Speaking of the New Day. We were talking about Carmella earlier in the show. I think there have been various other talents that we could kind of point to here. What do you think is the most surprising success? I mean, we could bring James Ellsworth in here on the roster right now, but let's dig into the history books a little bit. What comes out as the most surprising success story uh, when you think about WWE recent history, long-term history? You know, the New Day's there because their gimmick was so terrible. We all thought it would be just a complete train wreck and they made it work somehow or another. I think Carmella is there because nobody expected her to succeed. And now she has lasted longer than either Enzo or Big Cass. And she is a champion. So when I ask you that question, what is that one person, that gimmick that just stands on your mind is like, there's no way this will ever work. And then it catches on like wildfire. Maybe Santino. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Even though it's, remember it's a comedy act though. But Santino sure. worked really well. And remember his debut, he won the, I believe he won the Intercontinental Championship in his debut. He did. Okay. Because they filmed it over in Milan. Right. right. Um, that would be one of them that's up there. Hmm. Val Venus. I mean, the era was different, but Val Venus is one of those that just sticks out in my mind as like, right. he lasted for a good long time as that porn star gimmick. And it's just crazy to me. Yeah. That was pure gimmick on that one. Um, the New Day, I, I still think the New Day as a trio was bound to fail and it succeeded in spite of itself. Right, because I mean, I think these guys really were very tight and they got more influence and they they took what they got and they made the most of it and that allowed them to get more influence over it and turn it into what it became. Like they, right. they were totally all in when it came to, you know, uh, what they did. Yeah, oh, oh okay. Different kind of thing though. But, um, but I mean, they, they, they took advantage of every moment that they got. Like, I'll even say this. So when they did um, before the uh, Money in the Bank, they did that um, angle with uh, Kevin Owens bringing the pancakes in front of uh, the New Day in the locker room. Right. That seemed like a hokey promo. That wouldn't work, right? I thought that promo worked out great because the New Day, they buy in so far with all of the things that they are able to do, even with those promos. Sometimes you might not like it, but like that promo, I really like from the standpoint, like the reaction that they had when Kevin Owens said, I don't like pancakes, you know, and they all freaked out like Big E right. when his eyes go wide and he freaks out. It's, it's amazing, you know, and just all of them, the way that there, there is no wasted, you know, emotion when it comes to this, like when they're into something, whether you think it's over the top or it's too much or whatever, they they are doing as much as they can with it, you know. Yeah. And it's been great to see where this has gone. I think a lot of people have had this question about where is this going to go in the future when it comes to New Day? Are they going to break up or whatever? I thought it was funny that once again somebody asked Biggie this on Twitter this week, and his response was, 
I don't pester you to divorce your wife. Leave us be. <laughs> Which he's totally right because there's so many other things you could still do with New Day from a standpoint sure. that you don't have to just have them involved in the tag team division. You can do something where, say, Big E goes on a singles run for whatever championship, whether it's the the uh, United States Championship or it's the um, WWE Championship, whatever. You could even do it with Kofi. I mean, I think those would be the two guys you do it with um, and nothing against Xavier, but there's other things that you can do where those guys can all stay together as a faction, but you can have guys go on singles runs as well and still stay together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that that could be, um, there are lots of things. It's interesting. People always look as tag teams as like, when are they going to break them up? Right. That's kind of always the question. Oh, you put them together so you can break them up. And I like the idea that some of these teams just live forever. A team like this, lots of talent. Maybe they don't actually break up at some point. It's just that, Whenever one or two of the guys kind of backs out of wrestling, right? I mean, Xavier Woods is a prime example of this. He could go do this entertainment video game thing after wrestling and have a very fruitful career as, the, as well there. Kofi Kingston is kind of, you know, in the, I don't want to say the waning years of his career, but he's kind of the senior veteran here. So <laughs> there's a veg, very natural dissolution here that will happen at some point, but it doesn't mean we have to break them up right now. It was kind of surreal seeing those guys, you know, together doing being the elite and even playing the yeah. video game against one another. Yeah. At the end of being the elite, you know, they were doing, you know, so uh, the Bucks and Kenny were doing this thing like, I feel like we could do something more like uh, another kind of a competition. And they go, hmm, they're all thinking about it. And they go, yeah, like a basketball competition. And then I think it's, I think it's Matt that's running the camera. He goes, oh, we could have a match. And the other two guys like <laughs> eyes kind of bug out and boom, that's how they end the episode. So, yeah, um, which is pretty funny to see. So, I mean, they're teasing it. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. Maybe, maybe not. I don't think so anytime soon but why not throw that out there it's it's still kind of amazing to even see those guys interact and see wwe embrace it and obviously the bucks and kenny are going to embrace it and they they allowed them to do the being the elite show so we at least got that very much like there's there's a walled garden there's been a walled garden here for so long between wwe and anybody on the outside especially wwe main roster it's like when if there's like a dc universe and marvel comics crossover right it's like if superman were to show up in the next avengers movie and you're like oh my is this happening what what right it's kind of like when spider-man finally broke free of sony and was doing a civil war you know captain america civil war and it was this really weird surreal wow they're doing this and I, i think that's really cool two last things and then i'll let you get your question into me that was my question. You answered it. I wanted to know what the most surprising, mm. you thought the most surprising kind of, I, I think the New Day, just to put a cap on that question, I think the New Day to me stands out. And I, I might could pick out one or two other examples, but the way that the New Day has surpassed all expectations as far as even being pop culture icons, right. the shirts, the gimmicks, the, every, the way they own that WWE brand in a way to connect with people, I think that is the most surprising success story that I can point to in recent history. Um, both with the amount of success, but also with how terrible that gimmick was to start with. So if you have not watched it yet, if you have the WWE Network, I would strongly encourage you to watch the new uh, 24 documentary on the Hardys. It is fantastic. It's just under an hour long. And um, they really go behind the scenes and deep when it comes to the rise and fall and rise again of the Hardys and talking with them uh, having them reveal like all of the different personal issues that they've gone through when it comes to, you know, their, their issues with drugs and drinking and, and whatnot. And they're very, very open about it. There's footage from impact wrestling that is used on there. So they're not shying away from, from that period of time. They even address Jeff's more recent problem. 
they really go some places in here that I'm almost surprised that they went to, including there was a, an instance or two that they even mentioned that I had never even heard of. And I don't think other people had that get brought up of problems that uh that they had especially when it comes to matt they they even go in depth about the um the infamous match where jeff hardy was supposed to wrestle sting for the uh impact championship really oh yeah really oh yeah they even go in the ring and take you like with the there's a camera in there and you have eric bischoff addressing that situation um wow oh yeah oh yeah there's there's some stuff there as well so it's it's really really good so go out of your way and watch that um, last thing, and I've been avoiding this and there's a reason for it. Obviously we have new Japan G one climax is coming up, uh, you know, this summer they've just announced the participants and the brackets. I knew we were not going to have enough time to discuss this on the podcast today because we're already over two hours and we've got to wrap Ooh. up and we're not no even questions. taking questions either. <laughs> so, I mean, we, I told Michael yesterday, I was like, we could do three hours, but we just, yeah. we're not doing three hours. We don't have enough time for it. We will talk about the G1 a lot more next week or something big happens I, next week than the week after. Um, well, <laughs> but um, it's, a, it's been a newsworthy week. Dude. Like, I just huge. feel like with the shows and everything else that the release, everything is just a crazy week. Uh, now, I will mention this. So the lineup of the G1, basically the same as last year when it comes to all the different participants. The only difference is Hangman Page is in there and... There's somebody else that off the top of my head, I can't even think of that's in there as well. But for the most part, it's the same. Now, the B block really stands out because you have Kenny Omega, Tetsuya Naito, and Kota Ibushi in the block. And for anybody that doesn't understand the rules, so basically they have two blocks, an A block and a B block. Each one's made of 10 wrestlers. You wrestle everybody in your block throughout this month-long tournament. You wrestle everybody. And every match is, you get points for victories. And whoever has the most points come the end of A block and B block competition, that the winners of each block will face one another to decide who wins the G1. So we are going to see Kenny Omega against Kota Ibushi. We are going to see Kenny Omega against Tetsuya Naito. In fact, I've got a couple of the dates here. Now, there's tons of big matches throughout this entire tournament, Okay. The, the three dates that stood out to me the most for these big matches are July 15th, which is the first night of the B block. They're doing Omega Naito right out of the block. Okay. They are doing Tanahashi against Okada on August 10th, which is the final day of the A block. And that will probably determine who is going to be in the finals. And also the following day, August 11th, and what will probably determine the winner of the B block, Kenny Omega against Kota Ibushi. Hell of a hell of a G1 climax this year. So I know people are probably going, why aren't you talking about the G1? Well, we will. I just knew there was other things we had to get to with WWE. There probably wasn't going to be enough time, but we will talk about this a lot more coming up here. And and by the way, we have more matches for all in. They're going to they are doing um Takahashi against a uh, Dragon Lee for the uh, junior championship, which should be freaking crazy to say the least. Um, so they've, they've announced more matches for that show. And as we expected all in, it's going to be broadcast somewhere so you can watch it live. Of course it is. Oh, we don't, we're not going to broadcast. Of course you are. You say that to get the ticket sales. Did you like that tweet from Cody? It was just like, Oh, we talked about this and you know, um, we decided we're going to put it on broadcast TV. 
I was yeah, like, we decided that all of a sudden. I was like, no kidding, really? You're gonna put down broadcast TV? Nothing against Cody, but it's just like, here's here's the tweet. We can confirm that we have decided in favor of licensing production. So 100%, this event will be broadcasted in some capacity. We want as many people to see it as possible. Details in the coming weeks. Yeah. So, yep. okay. Is this on traditional pay-per-view? Is this on pay-per-view through Fight TV? Is it on uh, part of the honor service for Ring of Honor? Or could this be on Twitch? Mm. Nah. It's got to be one of the other ones, I think. If they want as many people to see it as possible. They keep saying broadcast. So well, Twitch is I, free, I so you'd probably get more people. The other thing you got to pay for. Yeah. I know that. But but also, you're, how many people are going to watch it on Twitch, even if it's free, versus paying for it on one of those other services? I, I, don't, I doubt that Twitch is the viable way to make this have the most eyes. Facebook Live, it's man. Free. Let's give this on Facebook Live. <laughs> Look at what it did for the Mixed Match Challenge. Right? You know what the funny thing is? is like This event has gotten enough attention to where... This could happen. They could be like on a Facebook or something like that. Yeah, and yeah. so Cody did a, um, a conference call through Access TV with the media the other day. And I believe it was Jason Powell that brought up. What could you say anything about rumors of an all in two coming up later on this year? And Cody said, um, I can neither confirm nor deny or no comment or whatever. He's like, he goes, I have so signed so many NDAs when it comes to even the first all in event. I can't even talk about a second one, but he did say that they have been approached. Yeah. So, I mean, oh, yeah, I'm sure we, we sit here and we talk about, could they do an all in like next year, like around WrestleMania week or, or whatever. And, you know, ring of honor wanted to run a show. There could be an all in two later on this year. That's crazy. That is crazy. Where would you do it? Not Chicago. You go somewhere on the West coast, big city. Yeah. yeah. Los Angeles. Maybe last thing. Yeah. Very last thing on the podcast before we get off here. Got to end it with no questions this week. Got to end it with the joke. All right. Ooh, the infamous joke. Uh-huh. I bring it back. Okay. What bird do I always invite to my birthday? What bird do you always invite to your birthday? I don't know. The party fowl. Oh, my God. <laughs> there you go. That's a, that that's a really bad one. That one's up there. Oh. Man, that's what that's what my wife and loved ones told me. But you might want to put that one in the vault. Man, mm. keep that one to yourself. I made that one up. Made that one up on the spot. The other oh, day. you. Oh, so that that's a Wiseman original. Uh, yeah, that's a Wiseman original. I haven't heard anybody else tell that one. Is that like a, like a rocket of like that's like a firework of success? Is that what that was? Um, or maybe it was <laughs> plunging to its death. I don't know. Such a great joke. Fireworks everywhere. Mm, that's like Wiley Coyote going off the cliff. Oh, wow. That, wow. There's a reference for you. I mean, Wally Coyote, he's a classic. So you're telling me my joke is that good. That's that a classic. Now. Why don't you invest in Acme pro- products right now? Okay. Okay. Well, I will. Are they, are they specializing in jokes? Is that why you're telling me that? Mm, they've been a part jokes? of some jokes. <laughs> wow. And on that note, we will wrap it up <laughs> as we like to do. We like to pick that perfect spot where we actually utter those fun words. So a couple of reminders for everybody um, and a special shout out for everybody that's supporting us on Patreon. Please do that. Go to patreon.com backslash between the ropes, get the ad free version of this podcast. Plus if you, if that's for the $5 and up tiers and um, you also get the extra podcast that we do extra month uh, each month. We'll probably be doing one maybe this weekend, Michael soon. Yeah. I'm, I'm kind of maybe out of town for the next. Oh, few that's days, right. So that's right. So beginning of next week would be, about I'm going to have some available time coming up here where we can punch a bunch yeah. out. So, I'm going to have some time available. Um, so we will uh, be having more of the overrun podcast for all the people that are supporting us on Patreon coming up here in the near future. Uh, make sure that you 
subscribe to the podcast, rate and review us as well. You can find us on iTunes, uh, all the different places that you typically find podcasts. My, my brain's about fried right now anyway. So uh, we're on, hear you, we're on the TuneIn app. We're on Blog Talk Radio, everywhere you can get a podcast. Um, please subscribe and uh, rate and review the podcast as well. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Brian Fritz. Michael is at The Real Wiseman. Of course, you can follow us as well at Between the Ropes. And check out the Facebook page. Go to Facebook.com backslash Between the Ropes. Typically, you can leave questions there um, that we'll answer during the podcast. But that didn't happen this week because we had just too much stuff to cover. Third party person, whoever that was, whoever out there didn't do it. So you know what? Maybe we will make up for it. and We can do a Patreon exclusive podcast only doing Q&A. A Patreon exclusive. Yeah, that would that could work. We could actually do that. See, mm-hmm. thinking on the fly. There you go. I try every now and then. So, <laughs> hey, everybody. Thanks again. We always appreciate the support. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. This was a mega, mega podcast going over two hours and we didn't even get to everything that we wanted to talk about or we could have gone a lot more in depth on some other things. So I promise you we'll be doing that with some of the bigger things, especially when it comes to uh, New Japan. We will be doing that coming up here uh, next week or in the coming weeks and going more in depth on those subjects. So thanks as always for supporting us, for listening to the podcast, for downloading it and helping spread the word. And we'll talk to you next week right here. Between the Ropes. <laughs>